Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasters. And welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm once again joined by Dylan Hughes, my co-host. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs. Although, to be honest, given what happened this weekend, you are probably expecting this curveball. Your Purdue Boilermakers took down the number two Iowa Hawkeyes. Dylan, I'm just going to give you the floor. How are you feeling after this weekend? You know, there's just something about playing number two teams, man. Like... 2018 Ohio State, shout out to Bryce Shaddy. Uh, number two Ohio State comes in the house. And, uh, you know, that was during the Tyler Trent time, and there was a lot of emotions going on. And Rondell Moore just killed him, and they killed him. And it felt great because the Tyler Trent thing was like empowering, and like beating the number two team was great. But they, they sucked that year. Like, that was the only good win they had the whole year. This year, they're ranked. They're ranked now. They're ranked 25, which, to be honest, I didn't expect because they haven't really beat anyone great outside of Ohio State. Like, congrats – or, I mean, Iowa. Like, congrats on beating UConn. I don't know. <laughs> but, hey, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I'll take that little number next to the name. And – you know, they've always had a thing with Iowa. Like, they they just always beat Iowa. I think they've won four of their last five games now. So, they went in there and just kicked ass. And David Bell is, like, if he's not in the Heisman race at this point, then I don't know who's watching what because he put up, like, 240 yards in that game. I mean, he he's going to be a beast in the NFL, and I can't wait for that. But – I mean, right now he's kicking ass and Purdue is kicking ass in general. And it's, it's exciting because Purdue football hasn't been good in a long time. Like they've had, they've had a handful of, of bowl games in the past, you know, 10 years, but it hasn't been great. We, we have to put all our eggs in the basketball basket. So having football right now, it's nice. I mean, between, you know, the dethroning of number two, Iowa, and, you know, you're coming into the basketball season with, like, a certified top 10 pick in Jaden Ivey. And then I don't remember the name of the other kid that you guys have on your squad, but he's apparently he's really good, too. So this might be the best, like, Purdue sports year in a while for you, Dylan Hughes. Yeah. I mean, this may be the best Purdue sports year ever for me. I don't know. It's it's uh, I mean, for the basketball team has a lot to top. You know, the the run of a couple years ago is still. It's still going to be tough to top, uh, but they can go further. I mean, I'm not going to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a fun time to be a Purdue fan, man. Like for once, everything feels like it's clicking and, you know, not to bring up the one other team, but, you know, I have to, I mean, it's, it's basically like uh, it's not even a competition. Like it's not even fun anymore to make fun of IU because they just suck every year at everything. Like it's, I know what happened in football this year is exactly what's going to happen in basketball. And I, you know, I'm going to give Mike Woodson a chance. Maybe he'll work out for them, 
But Purdue or IU football, man, they came into this year, they were ranked, and they're like two and four now. They suck. And I, I have a feeling that they're going to get overhyped in basketball, and it's just not going to work out. And Purdue, Purdue doesn't care about expectations. They just play good sports every year, uh, except for football most years. But basketball, at least, they come out and play. So I'm excited, man. And I'm not going to give my hopes up too much. I'm not expecting them to win anything really, but hey, it's it's nice to have it for once. Well, it wouldn't be a Dylan Hughes talking about Purdue segment if you didn't just take a complete shot at IU. So I'm glad you tied up that loop because frankly, I needed it today. But um, we got a lot to talk about today. So I'm glad we got your little, we got your Purdue talking. You know, we needed it, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to start with extensions. Basically, how the show is going to go, we're going to start with extensions. We're going to pick our teams for the week and then we're going to move on to the Eastern Conference preview. So, in case you need a reminder of our format, we basically pick three teams and then we watch all their games for the week or we try to watch as many of their games as we can. And we come up with our analysis for each of those teams. This year, we're not individually picking the teams. We're leaving it up to chance. So we're going to spin a wheel. I made the wheel. Um, And we're going to talk about the teams that the wheel decides upon. We're going to leave it up to chance, leave it up to fate. Just like uh, (laughs) Iowa left it up to fate and got their asses handed to them them by Purdue. So (laughs) let's go ahead and move on to the extensions real quick. Mikhail Bridges got a four-year, $90 million extension. Um, good extension for him. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., four years, $105 million. Not Kind of surprising. I didn't think he was going to get extended right away. Malcolm Brockton um, got an extra two years and $45 million added onto his contract, so that's a little extension for him. Grayson Allen got a two-year, $20 million rookie extension. Not bad. Landry Shamit got four years, $43 million. Little confusing. Kevin Herter got four years, $65 million. Good for him. Um, and that's pretty much it on the rookie extension front. Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon's not a rookie, but around the rookie deal, but I threw that in there just because it's timely. Um, there were a couple of big ones. Sexton, Colin Sexton didn't get extended. Um, Miles Bridges didn't get extended, but probably the weirdest one, Dylan. And I think this is the one I want us to focus on because the other ones are fine and I don't, you know, contracts or whatever. DeAndre Ayton did not get extended today. And I feel like that's not good. We saw him be a massive piece to the Suns championship last or not championship to make to their finals run. And yeah, he couldn't hang in the finals. He was playing 45 minutes a game. <laughs> like he did so much for that team. And now they're not rewarding him with a max contract. And this feels like Sarver just Sarvering all over again. Yeah. I mean, we were talking pre-pod about how there's not a ton of centers that deserve max contract extensions. And we both kind of agree that of all the guys eligible, Aiton is probably the guy we would do last, but he still should be done. I mean, like, look at, look at Gobert. Gobert has, or Utah had no problem giving Gobert a new contract. There's been rumblings for years about how, you know, he's not good in the playoffs and he gets, he gets killed every year by teams that space them out. And there was the whole Donovan Mitchell thing where they were, it seemed like for a little bit, at least it was going to be like a, it's either me or him type of situation. 
And the Jazz were like, screw it. We're just going to give this guy more money. <laughs> and that's a guy that, like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to winning, has done less than DeAndre Ayton. I mean, Gobert, as good as he's been in the regular season. And again, I think we both have kind of, I mean, we trash Gobert, but we also try to defend him when it's necessary. And like what happened with the Clippers this year, like that was not his fault, right? Like there's, that was just a great, great plan from Ty Lue. And, but at the same time, like he still didn't help them win that series and they were the number one seed. And DeAndre Ayton was massive. Like he wasn't their best player every night for them, but there were some nights where he would get like a double double in the first quarter and it was over. Like he set the tone in a lot of those playoff games and for him to come off of a season like that, where you make the freaking finals. I mean, who expected the Suns to make the finals this year? You know, like that. I mean, I'm sure there were some teams that had some hype and like we, we both liked them, but to make the finals, I don't know. And a big part of it was DeAndre Aiden taking a huge step up. So to not reward him, it's, I mean, it's, it's got to feel, it's got to feel for Aiden. He's like, what else can I do? I, I just did, I just played the best basketball I can. And like, what else do I need to do to get that money? And look at the centers he was matched up with too, obviously against the Clippers. He wasn't, you know, they didn't have a center, but he dominated the Clippers series. Right. Like just so you brought up like he wasn't their best player every night, but you could argue throughout the playoffs. He was probably their most consistent player just in terms of what he was giving them from game to game. Like every single game, Aiden was showing up. He was giving them a double double at the very least. He was making eight out of his 10 shots. He missed some free throws in the playoffs, but I think at the end it trended towards 70 percent, which isn't awful. Right. It's not great, but it's not the worst either. He wasn't hurting them. In fact, he was actively helping them win games, which is something that can't be said for a lot of premier centers in today's NBA anymore. Like he was actively helping them win games on both sides. And it just is baffling because you have, he's not like a once in a generation talent, right? Like he's not Carl Anthony Towns. He's not Nikola Jokic. He's not Joel Embiid, but he doesn't have to be on this team. He is the guy who does all the dirty work. And he's the guy who gets like, he got a shit ton of offensive rebounds in the playoffs and he put him back in and he was great doing that. He's the guy who would get a nice little jump hook every couple times, but he wasn't like a featured option, right? Like he wasn't spacing out. He wasn't doing whatever. And it sucks because you like to see the guy sacrifice for the good of the team. But then when you sacrifice for the good of the team, they're like, Oh, Hey, we're going to use that against you now in contract negotiations. And then guys are like, huh, maybe I shouldn't sacrifice for the good of the team. Maybe I should just get my needs first, which, you know, is a completely fair stance to take. And like, it's going to suck if Deandre Ayton, you know, God forbid nothing horrible happens, but if something does, he doesn't have now that security to fall back on after he comes back from his injury. So I'm not saying he's a one of one center, but he, I think it's, I think you and I would agree. I probably erred in having Gobert under him in my top 100. He's the best of the rest, <laughs> right? I think we would agree. Like, I'd rather have him than Capella, Nurkic, Sabonis, Vooch, Miles, Jared Allen, all those guys. I would rather have DeAndre Ayton over them. And I just don't, it makes, <laughs> it makes you wonder. Like we kind of knew the other server she was going to drop, right? Like, okay, Mikhail Bridges, 90 million. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Chris Paul, four years, 120 million. 
that hmm, that's interesting. You knew Sarver was gonna cheap out, try to cheap out somewhere, and it just sucks that. I mean, going forward, DeAndre Aiden's their second most important player. Chris Paul is not going to be this good forever. He just can't be. It would defy the laws of what we know from basketball players for him to be good until he's like to be this good until he's 40. That's just not possible. So I think that I think it's just dumb to not prioritize your second most important player for like the future of your franchise. Yeah. What makes it the weirdest thing for me is that they would give Landry Shamit all that money, like 11 million for Landry Shamit is, I mean, it's a shooter's world, but like, man, 11 million for a guy that on Brooklyn last year was kind of, or on a, well, I guess he had, he had his moments, but there, I mean, there were some bad moments last year where it's like, this guy shouldn't even be on the floor. And all of a sudden the Suns trade for him and they just extend him before he even plays a regular season game. It was just like a – it's odd to do that and then to say, well, DeAndre Ayton, like, you know, thanks for being our third best player in the playoffs last year, but, uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna wait and see. It's it's just – it's tough. And, and I do agree that they have a lot of money on the table right now. And, you know, billionaires, they have a tough time coming up with cash. It's a very well-known thing. So it's understandable why he would go that route. But man, like you were just in the finals and Chris Paul is like 80 years old. Okay. You have to go in now. You have, and not, you know, obviously it's not like DeAndre Aiden's leaving the team or anything, but there's something about giving a guy money. That's like, okay, he's going to feel comfortable. He's going to feel like he's supported in that environment. And you don't have any dark cloud hanging above the team coming into the season. And maybe, you know, maybe there won't be a dark cloud. Maybe Aiden's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll go prove to you this season that I deserve that money. And maybe it'll work out. But it's just it's just an odd move from the Suns to not go that route. And, and you know, Mikhail Bridges should definitely have got extended. Landry Shamit is a good player. And if you want to extend him, that's fine. But to, to pick those guys over Aiden, I, it's just an odd move. For the playoffs, DeAndre Ayton averaged 16 points, 12 rebounds, a block a game on 66% from the field. <laughs> he didn't shoot any threes, hardly. Uh, no, he didn't shoot any threes at all. He stuck to his role, stuck to his guns, and was one of the most, like I said, one of the most solid. We didn't really talk about him a whole lot in our Top 100 episode, but he was a really freaking good player through the whole of the playoffs. He played Jokic, not to a draw, I'd say, but as close as you can get on offense, right? Like he was doing really well against Jokic and he just, he did really well Who they against AD. He did as well as he could, right? AD is just, when AD's on, he's just completely different. Like he's just an unstoppable basically. But Aiton did a good job against those great players. And I'm not saying Aiton is a great player. I just feel like, you know, in this world where you have max contracts, you got to compensate the players who do, who like maybe take a step back from what they can do to make your hole better. It just, it frustrates me because Sarver, we kind of knew he was going to cheap out at some point, right? Like this team wasn't going to stay cheap forever. You know, you had these two 2018 lottery picks in Bridges and Aiden. You had a 2019 lottery pick in Cam Johnson, who's a, 
extension eligible eligible uh that's easy for me to say eligible for an extension next next fall and then it's like what are you gonna do not pay cam johnson cam johnson he's not like super young but he's gonna be useful he's in his prime right now you are trying to win a championship right now and to not to actively hurt yourself trying to win a championship i think it's not, it's not surprising because Sarver, as we've seen throughout the years, is an idiot. But it's I just wish it wasn't so predictable. I mean, these some of these owners they just keep they shoot themselves in the foot, and I'm surprised that Dolan hasn't done it yet. With the considering the Knicks are actually good for once, I, I mean I'm excited for him to do that because uh, it's it's coming, but. Sarver, I mean, that team, I don't want to say that they lucked into this team because they didn't, but God, I mean, Ryan McDonough put them in such a horrible position. And every time I see Ryan McDonough on Twitter or TV, I just start laughing because it's like, yeah, there, you, you can enjoy this job, buddy. There's a reason you're here. You are right. horrible at running an NBA team. And, you know, they – but because of that, they happened to get Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and a bunch of other draft capital by sucking. And that's how they ended up with Chris Paul, too. So, and like, hey, like the Mikhail Bridges move was awesome. Um, Cam Johnson was a, that was a pick that, man, everyone thought sucked. Everybody thought sucked. He's, he's been great. Dario Saric has been useful, even though he got hurt last year. And Jarrett Culver, who was on the other end of that, has done nothing. So, you know, like they've they've had a lot of good things happen in the past couple of years, and it's kind of coalesced into this little perfect storm of sorts. But man, you know, getting cheap before you even win a finals. I mean, look how Golden State has handled their success, right? They just kept throwing money on the fire. You know, they're like, you know what? Like you don't you don't do this very often. You don't have a chance to win a finals just every other year. This is something that when you have it, you milk it for all it has. And if it costs you hundreds of millions of dollars in luxury tax over the course of years or whatever, like you just got to swallow that pill because you have a chance right here to win. And if you're not in the business to win, then you're not in the business at all. So it's, it's an odd move from Sarver, but I mean, like you said, can't be too shocked. Can't be. I think that's a perfect way to cap off that segment. So let's real quick. Let's go. Um, let's pick our teams for the uh, for the next week. So, uh, Dylan, how do you want to do this? You want to have one like toss back, like one extra like win <laughs> wheel spin before we uh, <laughs> finalize our teams for the week. Like if we get like a team, like let's just say someone's dealing with like an injury, right? Like let's say like let's say we get the the Pelicans right now. Zion's not going to play. Till probably like December or something, we could throw the Pelicans back and we could try again for a different team. Is that something you would want to pursue doing this? Yeah, that that's uh, that's good because we punished ourselves enough last year with the Pelicans and getting a, a better team, but without Zion. Yeah, I'm not down for that. So the the teams that would fit this bill right now, I'd say the Pacers missing, you know, Levert and Warren right now would be a good candidate for this. The Raptors, Siakam's not going to probably be back till November, December. So they might be a good toss back candidate. Sixers, I think we're just going to have to plunge right in. But I think other than that, we should be all, all good. So ready for the first wheel spin, Dylan Hughes? Yes, sir. Get going. I'm hoping we get, I'm hoping we get like the Mavericks or the, 
I think I put the Wizards on this one. Let's see. Let's see who we got for the first one. We get the Boston Celtics. Okay. Boston Celtics. We're going to keep them. Okay. Let's do the second wheel spin. So we're off to a good start. I wanted to, I was intrigued by the Celtics. We'll talk more about them later. Who do we got for the second team? Probably should have taken the Celtics off. And oh, would you look at that? The Utah Jazz. Oh. So there goes our good teams for the week. I created a separate wheel for the bad teams. So let's go ahead and give that guy a spin. So our bad teams are the Spurs, the Cavaliers, the Thunder, the Magic, the Raptors, the Kings, the Wizards, the Wolves, the Rackets, and the Pistons. So those, I think we agree, are the probably 10 worst teams in the league. I'll be curious to see. Actually, we might not agree, but I think that that's probably a fair consensus as of right now. So let's go ahead and give the wheel a spin. It'd be funny if we got the Raptors, the Wizards again after starting with them last year. Let's see who we got. We get the... <laughs> We get the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> you know, just get him out of the way early. Is that good for you, Dylan? Yeah. Where do you want to use We got to do it at some point. <laughs> just, we'll do it now. So our three teams for next week. What was the, uh, it was the Jazz. It was the Celtics, the Jazz, and the Spurs. Interesting three teams to start off our season with. I don't think we would have picked any three of those teams. <laughs> to start if we had free choices, but that's why the anarchy of the wheel is the best. So let's um let's go ahead and start our Eastern Conference uh ceilings and floors. That's what we're here. That's what our main goal was for today, but you know, we got a lot of other productive discussion in as well. So Dylan, I'm assuming you did tiers for these as well. Yes. Okay. So let's go ahead and do your tiers again. So I think I'll have you introduce your team with the tiers. Yeah, let's just do that. Do what we did last time again, because I felt that went well. So I'm assuming your 15th team has to be the Orlando Magic, but who's in your uh, bottom tier for the Eastern Conference? Okay, so just like the West, I have five tiers. And the bottom tier is four teams. Four teams. Honestly... I'm just going to consider them all the same. And this is probably disrespectful to some, some of the teams, um, particularly the wizards maybe, but I, I just don't care about these teams. They're, they're not doing shit. It's, it's not worth caring too much about the tiers. So I, the four teams in this are the wizards, the pistons, the magic and the caps. Okay. And, I just went ahead and gave them all the same ceiling and floor of 12 as a ceiling and 15 as the floor, because I could realistically see, you know, the magic with their coming off the injuries, they probably do have the lowest likelihood of not being the worst team in the conference, but I still like some of their talent and Jalen Suggs. I'm really excited to watch him this year. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, I think it's probably most disrespectful to the Wizards. And, like, you know, I'm looking at this roster, okay? So, you've got Spencer Dinwiddie. You've got Bradley Beal, KCP, Rui Hachimura, and Daniel Gafford. Like, that's not a bad group of players, you know? Like, I think they are definitely the most likely of being 12. And would it shock me if they push the play in? Not necessarily. I would be surprised because the next tier or the next two tiers, I feel pretty confident that those teams will be better than the Wizards. But I mean, I like like Bradley Beal with a bunch of shooters 
is kind of like interesting. And that's kind of what this team is. Daniel Gafford being the exception, but Gafford, man, last year was so good. And I, I mean, I said when he was in Chicago that like, I think I thought he was better than Wendell Carter Jr. For at least, at least a year. And I still think that that's probably the case right now. Like I, I love Wendell and he got an extension. I'm happy for him, but uh, I just have seen more out of Gafford on both ends. So, I mean, that was a great pickup for them. They've got um, their bench is decent too, like Aaron Holiday, Raul Neto, uh, Denny Avdia, who we liked last year a little bit, Kyle Kuzma, Harrell, and then you got Corey Kispert, uh, Bertans. Like they have an interesting group of players, you know. Are those players going to get wins? I don't know. They'll get some wins, but I don't know. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they all just kind of really mix well together and play well. But again, anything higher than the 12th seed, I have a tough time seeing. So I'm higher on the Wizards than you are. Um, Let me pull them up real quick because I did alphabetical order. So I have actually their ceiling as seventh and their floor is 12th. I don't see any way that they're worse than any of the three teams, like other than the obviously everything has to go extremely right, right? For the Wizards to get to the seventh seed. I don't think that's likely. I think that more likely they'll settle in from 10 to 12 range. But they got like this team is a lot deeper than last year's team, right? They had like last year's team was, I would. It's not unfair to say they were kind of devoid of NBA talent. Garrison Matthews was one of their most important players by the end of last season. Garrison Matthews, I don't think is on an NBA team this year. <laughs> and by the way, I thought he was good, but so no like shots at Garrison Matthews, but he kind of came out of nowhere and was like a, an important rotation player for them. But I mean, they're starting five. <laughs> I mean, a starting five of Dinwiddie, Beal, KCP, Rui, and Gafford is a pretty fucking good five, right? Is it the best? No. But I feel like this team is just going to be solid, right? And maybe the solidness translates to winning 35 games, right? And being that 12th seed. But I could see them fighting their way, right? Like, you have a top 15 player surrounded by actual NBA players. <laughs> well, I didn't have him in my top 15, and I think you had him in your... I think you and I both had him, like, right on the edge of that. But, like, damn near top 15 player with surrounded by actual NBA talent. Dinwiddie's good. <laughs> How good? He's not as good as Russell Westbrook is. <laughs> I think this team is going to be addition by subtraction right? Like you subtract Westbrook and a bunch of your negative pieces and you add a bunch of guys who can actually play defense this year. Like KCP and Kuzma were defenders in were defenders in Los Angeles, right? Probably the two best defenders on the team that were Anthony Davis. Then you have um, Gafford, who obviously was added at the trade deadline last year, but that was the fucking steal of the trade deadline. So you have just this team and I think more than anything, my case with them fighting for the play-in is that they just make sense, right? Like this team to me just makes sense. I think that they're going to score a lot. I think they'll have like a league average defense. Um, I don't know how good of a coach Wes Unsettled will be, but I never liked Scott Brooks. So I'm sure somehow it'll be an improvement because (laughs) Scott Brooks was like basement level as coach. Like he was one of the, probably the 10 worst coaches in the league last year. So you're getting improvements all across the board. Um, 
the only downside is for this team is that the guard depth is practically non-existent, right? Like Aaron Holiday is their third guard. And we saw how that went in Indiana. Aaron Holiday, maybe he'll be better with more minutes, right? You were you watched a lot of Aaron Holiday over the years. You would probably know better than me. But another guy that didn't get extended today, by the way, um, he could be an interesting, like, maybe candidate to just explode this year with, like, more consistent and defined role. I don't know. I think that maybe he'll explode. But I think that we got, like, a decent group here where I think that they could win. They're over-unders at 33, and I pound the over. <laughs> I Like, I know we're not doing over-unders on this podcast. They won 33 games last year in a 72-game season with a much worse team. I think that they'll get to, a, at the very worst, 33. I could see them being the worst non-Cleveland-Orlando um, Detroit team in the East. I could see that. I just don't see any way that those teams finish over the Wizards this year. Yeah, I mean... I, I do agree, and I also think that they'll get more than 33 wins. And as far as Aaron Holiday, I will say that when I feel like when he was a little bit more in control as far as running the team, he was pretty good. Like there was – I mean, Malcolm Brogdon has had a lot of injury issues. Like he's always due to miss two weeks here and there for something, you know. And Aaron Holiday would step up a lot. And, like, there was a game in Brooklyn last year where he was just awesome. Like, he was passing it all over the place. He, I think he, you know, scored, like, 25 points or something. Like, he's got the talent. He is very capable of playing well. And I would like to think that the reason it didn't happen in Indiana is because, you know, he had to play with Corey Joseph. He had to play with T.J. McConnell and Edmund Sumner. And it was just like a weird mix of guys. And he never really fully got the opportunity of backup point guard by himself. So I think he could be um, good, but ultimately that's not going to change anything. Really, I mean, it's, it's not like he's, you know, winning them 10 games a year, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think they're the best of that bottom tier. And I just, the thing is, as as you'll see in my next tier, I have a pretty massive gap from the Wizards to like the next group. So I just it's just more about a comfortability thing. And I do like the Wizards talent and I think they could outplay my kind of expectations. But um, and I, I think the likelihood of them finishing below those bottom three teams are low as well. But at the same time. Those, those three teams have more young talent, and none of them have Brad Beal, so that's the one difference. But, you know, there, there's something on, on those other three teams that, like, it wouldn't shock me if they finished above the Wizards for whatever reason. So let's talk about the Magic real quick. So they have a real interesting roster. Um, not a whole lot of depth <laughs> for them. I think that they're a pretty clear lock to be the worst team, not in the league, but in the East. I mean, so I have their starting five pegged for right now because Isaac probably isn't going to be back till Christmas is what the, my understanding is. Jalen Suggs, um, Gary Harris, shout out to Gary Gary Harris, Harris, um, Chuma Okiki, Franz Wagner, and Wendell Carter. Not a bad five, but um, then their bench is going to be Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Michael Carter-Williams, Terrence Ross, and Robin Lopez. And this team just is weird. 
<laughs> like, I don't think there's any other way to put it. They don't have a whole lot of shot creators. Suggs can get to the rim at will, right? I'll say one of the things I noticed watching Suggs live in the tournament last year was he was being guarded by Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, and he got to the rim like at will. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh shit, this dude's like, I obviously I saw the game before <laughs> he hit the half court shot, right? Like I'm not an idiot. You hit a half court shot to win a final four game. You're legit. But watching him get to the rim against Davion Mitchell, who is shutting down his peers in the summer league. I was like, Oh shit, this guy is the real deal. So that's kind of my one thought there. And then, you know, you see what one other, like of your young guys pop, you know, Chumo Kihi, I was really intrigued by last year. Um, Wagner has a lot of defensive potential coming out of Michigan. Um, Cole Anthony and RJ Hampton. One of those two guys will surely pop. And then you have trade guys and Carter Williams and Ross. So, I mean, do you have anything else you want to talk about with the Magic? Because they don't really have, they're not really a, a bright spot in our league right now. <laughs> no, I mean, we're going to, we got to save time somewhere. I think this is a good spot to save it. <laughs> okay. We should talk about the Pistons and we should talk about the Cavs. Let's talk about the Pistons first, because you and I both really liked the Pistons last year. I think even after they like jettisoned Blake and they started playing the young guys more. So I think that they depending on how good Kate is, they could make a push for the play. And I just don't see it. Right. And like, what is Grant going to do? You know, is he going to take a step back? How's Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart going to advance in year two? This is basically Killian Hayes first shot at extended playing time. How's he going to do? You just ha- like, what are they going to do with Hamadou Diallo? You know, like they have so many, I didn't just throw that as a bone to you, by the way, <laughs> that's an actual question, but I think that this team I'm really interested to see what they do while they suck because I don't think they're going to win a whole lot of games, but I think they'll show a lot of promise this year. Yeah. So the Pistons are one of those teams where we love the roster, right? We love the players on this team. Do we love how they fit together? I don't know. I mean, Killian Hayes probably can't shoot. Like he's shown a little bit of ability to shoot, but not a ton yet. Cade Cunningham's a rookie, so there's going to be something wrong there. Like, you know, most rookies don't just come in and they're awesome off the bat. Sadiq Bey, obviously a great, um, you know, kind of glue guy, I guess, already at this point. And then Jeremy Grant, just like a high-volume guy all of a sudden. And Isaiah Stewart is like a center that doesn't shoot. So, I mean, he maybe can shoot a little bit, but he probably shouldn't. So... Like, how many threes is this team making? Like, there's there's just going to be some weird spacing issues. There's going to be a lot of – like, how, how can Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham and Jeremy Grant play together? Like, I can't – I just can't think of that. Like, those are guys that all kind of need the ball to be good. And Jeremy Grant doesn't need the ball to be good. Like, his entire career has been the opposite of that aside from last year. But now that he's gotten the the taste, is he going to want to give that up? You know, as as being a number one scorer on a team, I mean, that's something that he's probably waited a long time to to do, and he's worked hard to become this scorer. Like he was not, what, like he was a second round pick that was just kind of a defensive guy for a long time, and then he goes to the the Thunder, and hey guys, he can shoot corner threes now. And, and then he goes to Denver and all of a sudden he's becoming a decent isolation scorer. Like he's worked hard to get to this point. I don't think he's going to want to just give that up to, 
accommodate some young guys that haven't proven anything yet. You know, like there's just some weird dynamic stuff that needs to be figured out. And we love the players on the team, but it just, it feels like there's gotta be a trade of some sort for this thing to really mesh perfectly. And maybe that doesn't come this year, but if it doesn't come this year, then they're probably not going to be very good. I have to imagine Grant is being traded either at some point in the next this season or next, I just like someone's going to want him. Someone's going to get desperate. They're going to say like, Hey, Detroit, here's four first round picks. They're not going to get that desperate. They're like, here's two first round picks for Jeremy Grant. Like he'll put us over the top. I feel like someone will feel that way in the next year, right? Hell Denver thought that way. And they gave Oklahoma city, like the first of their, I'm pretty sure that was one of the first non Paul George picks that the thunder accumulated in like the last stretch was them getting one for Jeremy Grant. And I feel like a lot of teams will feel that way. You know, they're like, we've seen this guy with a smaller role. If like, we give this guy a bigger, smaller role, (laughs) if that makes sense, like maybe he'll be great for us. And I think someone will talk themselves into that, right? Like if you're the Celtics, you could probably talk yourself into Jeremy Grant helping your team. If you're the Bucks, I don't think the Bucks could make it work or they don't have enough first round picks, but uh, you know, like, let's just say hypothetically they could. I'm sure they'd be calling, they'd be blowing up Troy Weaver's phone, right? The Raptors, I'm sure they could use someone like this. You know, it's just somebody. You could see yourself, somebody's talking themselves into, hey, we need a guy. Let's go get Jeremy Grant. So I don't think he's on the roster. That's my prediction for the Pistons is that he's not on the roster by the time his contract ends in after next season. I think that that'll be, he'll be somewhere else and he'll be, you know, he'll be happier somewhere else probably. I'm just, I'll be curious to see where that goes. One low key addition that I thought, that I kind of questioned at first, but now I really love, I really love the Kelly Olynyk addition. Like he's going to make things so much, like he's going to make things make sense on offense on defense. No, but if you surround him with Cade Hayes, Grant and Sadiq Bay, <laughs> I think they could almost cover for how bad he is on defense. Right. So I'll be curious to see what element he adds to them. Um, they have Corey Joseph there. Hamadou Diallo, I'll be curious to see like if they use him as kind of like a role guy almost or just like let him drive to the rim at will. You know, Josh Jackson experiment. I mean, not going as well as it did in Memphis, but you know, that's okay. I think that they have something here, but it just doesn't like they need something else to make it click. And I'm, I'll be curious to see how they pivot and try, like if they just try to add, you know, that, Banchero kid coming out of Duke if they try to tank to get him or you know the other kid who's like seven who's like basically Poku but better (laughs) Um, I'll be curious to see if they try to tank and try to get one of those guys or if they just start like hey you know we just need one more like small piece and we'll be okay I'll just be curious to see where what their future is from here yeah I mean it's it's going to be something that's going to be worked out over years I would think like this is a rebuild that just started last year like there's, I mean, look at how long it took the Sixers and, and they went the extreme route, obviously, but it took like three or four years for that to really start kind of materializing. So it's going to take some time. And yeah, I, I don't think Jeremy Grant is, is long for the Pistons. I think we agree there. Let's talk about, let's move on to the Cavs. Um, yeah. So, okay. Basically I should have said for Detroit, um, Orlando and Cleveland, I had their ceilings and floors all as 13 and 15. Um, I think Cleveland has the best shot of finishing 13th, but their roster is really weird. So right now I have their starting five pegged as Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. And then off their bench, I have Rubio, Denzel Valentine, Dylan Windler, 
and our boy Larry Markkinen. I think that they just have a really weird roster. And like, if there was a team in desperate need of a three across the league, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, because I don't understand what the fuck is going on with their roster. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say they have two point guards, a small forward that maybe doesn't play offense at all. And then two bigs. I mean, it's just like a weird mix and Ricky Rubio is for some reason on this team. And it's like Ed Davis, I just some seeing is on this team. Like, I just, I don't know what's happening in Cleveland. And again, it's kind of like the Pistons where I really like a lot of the talent, but God, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, trading Nance was like understandable, but getting marketing back, it doesn't like, you're not solving any question. You're not answering any questions about making that move. It's just, and I, I think Markinen probably did need a change of scenery and he definitely could be better in Cleveland, but God, like this team is just point guards and centers. Like there's, there's really no in between and it's just really odd. We've seen what happens when your team gives Denzel Valentine a lot of minutes. I don't think I need to add anything else to that. Dylan Windler. I think we're both intrigued by on um, this guy who's like cup touted as a shooter coming up, but then he's not really that good at shooting, but he's a great cutter. I'll be curious to see where that goes. I think here's a question for you, Dylan. Everyone's saying like, everyone's raving about Dar- Darius Garland right now. Jackie McMullen said that she talked to Steph Curry during the off season. And he said that he thinks Garland's like one of the, he's going to be like up next in terms of like great players. If Garland takes a leap, does any of this matter? <laughs> like, is there a shot that they fight for the play in if Garland just be not like Steph Curry, but if he just becomes like a great player, does like, is all of what we're talking about right now, just kind of like stupid. Technically. Yes. But what does taking a leap mean? Like, does he have to be Brad Beal? I think that taking a leap for him would be like shooting five deep threes a game, making two of them, um, getting up to like, Basically, I would say a leap for him would be 22 and nine. I would say it would like, cause he was at like 16 and seven last year. I want to say 16 and six. So if he gets like 22 and eight or nine, I think that would be considered a leap for me. I guess technically if that were to happen, they could make a run because I mean, with Sexton and Mobley and Allen, like you got a good team, but I don't know. Like, the East is tough, as we're going to talk about. And Darius Garland is not good enough to beat most of those teams unless the leap is just insane. Like, he would have to be scoring 25 a game, I think. Because, again, look at what Bradley Beals had to do for years. I mean, with John Wall being out and Westbrook uh, last year, like – Bradley Beal has had to become the best score in the league to barely make the playoffs or not even make the playoffs. So like, and you know, I, I think this Cleveland roster probably has more talent than those wizards rosters have, but I mean, you can't do it on your own. Here's another prediction I have just based on how everything's going in Cleveland right now. I would bet by the start of next season, Colin Sexton is not a Cleveland Cavalier. I don't like it. I think he's supremely talented and whoever gets him is going to reap the benefits of having him on their roster. I, I don't understand. He's I think he's one of the most disrespected players in the league. Everyone says, Oh, you know, this guy is like Steph Curry. The disrespect is unreal. 
like half the fucking people who love the NBA love Steph Curry, right? Probably more than half, like 75% of the people. That 25% is allowed 25% still. I don't think anybody properly rates Colin Sexton. I think everyone's like, oh, this dude is just a bucket getter. Like this dude, you know, he's so selfish. He's so, you know, whatever. He averaged 24 a game on like 48, 37 shooting splits. <laughs> like that's on a bad team. That's so hard to do. It's like preposterous. I just don't understand. Like, I think if you put Colin Sexton on the Knicks right now and you replaced him with Fournier, I think I would put them at like in the running for a top four seed because he fills that exact need that they have. If you put him in a situation like Donovan Mitchell's in, and I'm not saying he's as good as Donovan Mitchell, but where the team around him is set and all they need from him is scoring, I think you could breathe the benefits of that. I think that sex, I mean, <laughs> am I off base here, Dylan, that Colin Sexton is one of the most disrespected players in the league? No, I mean, he's been one of the more efficient young guards in the league in the past few years. I mean, we talk about this a lot because we've talked about it with De'Aaron Fox. We've talked about it with Ja that it's very rare for a player to come into the league as a guard and just kind of hit it off right away. And I mean, Sexton has done that. And I think he gets less attention than those guys. Cause he's on the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, and not, not that the Kings and the Grizzlies are super, you know, big markets that people love to pay attention to, but, they just they get a lot more buzz and I think they're better than Sexton, but I also think Sexton's like not that far off from being that kind of level of player. And I, I don't I don't really understand. I don't understand why Cleveland apparently doesn't want him. Like not giving him an, ex- him an extension wasn't a shock because there's been rumors for months that they don't even know if they want to keep him. So I don't I, I really don't get it. I mean, I haven't really paid much attention to his defense in, in the league, but I know in college he was a good defender. And what he's done on offense in the league, it's like, man, like if you if you put this guy on a good team, he's going to be a good two-way player, like really good. So I, I really don't get it. This is going to be borderline blasphemous coming from me. I'm aware. This guy, I'm going to compare Colin Sexton to one of my favorite players ever. So – their third seasons, right? Derrick Rose and Colin Sexton. Colin, and I'm comparing per 36 minutes. Um, I can do per 100 possessions and the numbers will be pretty similar. Per 36 minutes, Colin Sexton's at 24.9 points per game. Derrick Rose is at 24.1. This was the year he won MVP. The shooting splits are favor Sexton significantly, like pretty identical number of field goal attempts. Um, obviously, Derrick has the advantage in assists. But that's about it (laughs) and blocks, but like 0.6 to 0.2, you know, whatever, like this guy can put the ball in the basket. Is he Derrick Rose? No, of course not. But Derrick Rose in 2011 had a fucking stack team around him. He had Luol Deng. He had Taj Gibson. He had Carlos Boozer, Joaquin Noah for half the year. Kurt Thomas filled in like admirably for Joe when he was hurt. Um, Keith Bogans as a starting two, Ronnie Brewer, Kyle Korver, Omer Ashik. That team was fucking loaded. And he, yeah, if you put Colin Sexton in a situation like that, I think you could really thrive as your team. You just need, if, like, let's just say the Raptors, right? I don't know what you trade, but if the Raptors got Sexton right now, like, they'd be in a really great spot. Any team in need of a bucket getter, I feel, should get Colin Sexton. 
Yeah, that would be interesting with the Raptors, like Gary Trent in the first or something. I don't know if that would do it. But, I mean, yeah, like that – that's – there's going to be a team out there that gets – that becomes very happy. I mean, I was I was kind of thinking casually about Minnesota. I don't know what they would trade either. Maybe they would just do a first. But, man, if you put Sexton in Minnesota with Edwards and Cat, I mean, they're a, they become a perennial playoff team at that point. I mean, like, just so many teams around the league could use Colin Sexton. Like, I think Utah would still make the playoffs if you replaced Donovan Mitchell with Colin Sexton. They'd probably be the sixth seed, but they, I think they'd make the playoffs still. I think Mitchell gives them that first seed ceiling. But I think that you could, with the infrastructure they have in Utah, I don't see any reason why they couldn't make the playoffs. I don't know. I I love Colin Saxon, and it's a shame that his name gets dragged through the mud every fucking year. Um, but let's move on to your next tier, Dylan. So who do you have in your next tier? So this next tier is three teams. It's going to be the Knicks, the Raptors, and the Hornets. So I guess I'll start from the bottom up. So I have the Raptors and the Hornets actually is the same. Um, I'm giving them a floor of 11 and a ceiling of six. So I, I'm interested to hear what you think about the Raptors because based on some of the things you've said so far, I feel like I'm going to end up being higher on the Raptors than you this year. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, but like, I guess let's just talk about them first since I brought them up. I mean, let's just, let's talk about this defensive lineup. Okay. So as you mentioned, Siakam's going to miss some time. So, you know, that's fine. But Goran Dragic, last legs, Goran Dragic, but it's all right. Um, and and I, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end it's just not even him starting. Like, it's probably going to end up as Van Vliet and Gary Trent, I would guess, at some point. Um, so you've got those two, OG, Siakam, and then Kim Birch. I mean – you probably know more about how Ken Birds played than me last or played last year than me because I don't really remember watching the Raptors at the end of last season. But I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty damn good lineup defensively. And then you throw in the fact that they have Scotty Barnes coming off the bench, and who knows he could end up in the starting lineup at some point too. Like Scotty Barnes, from what I've seen, so he's an awesome defender, obviously. He is a very good passer. And is it his shot that he doesn't really have? He, he, he has everything but a shot, essentially. Vecini said on him coming out of college that he was a zero-level scorer. <laughs> so <laughs> do with that what you will. But the thing is, this Raptors team doesn't need him to do shit on offense. Look how good they've been with OG for years. OG is really just coming into his own as an offensive player. He basically, like, they were, and yes, they had Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry. Like, you know, you don't need much after that. But even even in the years without Kawhi the past two, like, he's blossomed into a, a great two-way player. And, you know, I, I could see the same thing with Scotty Barnes where he just kind of starts off being like that lockdown perimeter guy. And, you know, he makes um, some nice hockey assists or something. And he kind of slowly develops on offense with his, his own shot. And then all of a sudden you got two OG Ananobis. It's like, and then you add to that Pascal and, and Fred Van Vliet. I mean, and, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because Scotty Barnes is a rookie after all, but like, 
I mean, at least on defense, this team could be very, very good. And just the way that nurse coaches and the, and the chemistry these guys already have, like they could maybe figure, figure out an offense too. So I think like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if they not only make the playoffs, but they, they like beat out the play in. So my ceiling for the, I am a little bit lower than them. I think we're a lot closer than I think. I think we kind of meet somewhere like pretty close to the middle. I have their floor, their ceiling at eight and their floor at 12. I think they could finish 12. Like everything goes catastrophically wrong. I, again, I, there's no way this team finishes worse than the bottom three, uh, but I think this team could have the best defensive rating in the NBA. I really do. I also think they could have the worst offensive rating in the NBA. Like, unless OG takes another step. And by the way, underrated, huge step forward for OG last year. Went from 11.16, right? He go actually, I rounded up like more than I should have. 10.6 to 15.9, right? And the shooting efficiency was 48, 40, 78. So pretty good jumps all things considered for OG there. I think that really this is all kind of riding on his shoulders, right? If he can take that next step, then they're easily in the first play in game to me. I don't think that they're right now, the way they're constituted, I think that they're just not better (laughs) than a lot of the Eastern conference teams above them. And I think that's a credit to how strong the East is this year, rather than like, a lot of the incumbents, right, from the last couple of years, like the Pacers, the Celtics, the, well, the Knicks aren't incumbent, but you get what I'm saying. Like the Heat. A lot of those teams are lower on my list just because of how strong the conference is around them rather than how good they are, right? Like I think that, and the Raptors kind of reflect that. Like this Raptors team a couple of years ago would have been like a lock for a four, five, six seed, right? Like you put this team in 2019, like 2019 Eastern Conference, they're probably the sixth best team in the conference. But now the conference is so deep that you could see them finishing 12th and you're like, huh, that's not too crazy. <laughs> like of an idea where they finish 12th. I think that there's, like I said, a legit shot. They finish 30th in offensive rating. If they can get to like 20th, which is possible given how deadly they are in transition, even without Lowry, I think that there's a chance that they avoid not avoid the plan. I don't think they'll avoid the plan, but get close to it. But I just, I don't see it. I think that, and maybe this is me overcompensating last year. I, like I said, I have the, um, 2020 ceilings and floors on here too, to compare year to year. I was really high on them coming into last year. I had them as a ceiling of one and a floor of five. (laughs) So I was way too high on them last year. And I'm not trying to make that same mistake again. And maybe it will be a mistake. Maybe they'll avoid the plan. I just think Boston is stronger than them. Like, well, you'll see who I have like going for the top six. I think there's seven teams that could really compete for the top six. And I think that Toronto is definitely not one of them. I, what, what else do you want to add about Toronto before we move on to the Hornets? I mean, like I probably am being a little bit too optimistic about them because their offense definitely has a lot to work out. Um, but it, it it's just that defense that it really entices me. And I've always been a guy that loves defense. So maybe that's what it is, but God, like just, it's so tantalizing. And the fact that, you know, they have my boy Gary Trent too, like there's, there's definitely a lot of bias being caked in here on my part. Um, so it's good that we don't claim to be an objective podcast, but um, yeah, I, 
that that's probably I, I'm probably a little bit too high on them, but I also don't care. Um, so you know, it is what it is. That's fair. I will say I liked what I saw from Malachi Flynn last year. Um, he looked good in the minutes that we saw from him. Sam Decker making his glorious return to the NBA after uh, several years in Europe is he was a very good shooter in Europe. So let's see if that translates back to the NBA. Um, Utah Watanabe, who other than um, getting absolutely posterized by Anthony Edwards, showed a lot of good flashes last year. I thought he was really, really good in his minutes. And the guy that I'm kind of intrigued by the most on this roster isn't Ken Birch, who's fine. Like, he's just the definition of solid center to me. I'm really intrigued by Precious Achua. I really want to see what he can do now that he's freed from the shackles of Miami. And... You know, I kind of thought they didn't give him a fair shake last year. Dwayne Dedman came in and basically stole his spot. And Dwayne Dedman was great for the Heat last year. Yeah. But I think that I'll I'll be curious to see how he basically how Precious seizes his role and he becomes, you know, one of the key players for the Raptors next year. Any other Raptors thoughts before we move on to the Hornets? I mean, in in the brief moments I saw Precious, I kind of almost saw him as like a mini BAM. And, and maybe that's not a fair comparison, but I mean, Bam Light, I mean, maybe that's something that's uh, acceptable to say, but I don't know. Like, I, I do think that he he could be something. And yeah, like Miami, Miami was just weird last year. Like they had so many different guys rotating in and out at the four and they kind of just ended up picking the worst. Like it was like a weird, like Spolstra had a weird year last year. Um, and to be fair, like, it was just an odd year for them in general. Like aside from Bam, I mean, Jimmy had a down year and Tyler hero majorly came down from that finals run. So it was an odd year for them, but yeah, I think precious, uh, he's definitely a guy to watch as well. And they totally botched using Bielitsa and it sounds like the warriors actually know how to use him. So I'm yeah. glad somebody finally figured that out, but um, the Charlotte Hornets. So I had them as a ceiling of seven, and a floor of 12. So I think that their realistic shot is around eight to 10. Um, I'm curious about this team because I don't know who's going to start at the five. I don't know if they're going to go small all game. They're going to start Washington. I don't know if they're going to start Plumley. I don't know if they're going to start Kai Jones, <laughs> but it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, Dylan, let's be real here. I think the Hornets season hinges on two things. Either. I think the most important factor is Gordon Hayward's health. I think they can offset Gordon Hayward's health, though, if Lamella takes a huge leap. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's how I feel, too. And I have them as a ceiling of six and uh, floor of 11, just like the Raptors. But the, the weird thing for me with them is their starting lineup is awesome. I mean, center definitely is questionable, like – Mason Plumley is not solving really any of their problems. Like it's kind of funny how we wanted them to get a rim defending lob guy. Like we wanted them to get rich on Holmes or someone like that. And, you know, Kai Jones projects to be a guy like that, but he's a rookie. So it's hard to expect him to just be thrust into that role, but this is also a young team. So maybe they're just like, yeah, we'll just try and see what happens. I don't know. But Mason Plumley doesn't solve any problems there with that. So that's something that um, I guess defensively will be interesting to watch, but yeah, 
I mean, Gordon Hayward's health is definitely important to watch, but LaMelo, that's where the ceiling comes in is LaMelo. LaMelo, and, and you could say Miles Bridges too, like those two guys I think have the most upside of anyone on this roster. And, man, if – if we, we talked about LaMelo a lot. The, the changes he made midseason, like he was just very quickly improving. It was really interesting to watch – because early on in the season, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we knew he was great at, like he was a great passer right off the bat. He was really good at, you know, maneuvering his body a certain way to get to the rim. Like all that stuff he's good at. We Like that was what we knew. His shot selection was horrible. His defense was horrible. And there was just a lot of mistakes being made. And that's why he wasn't starting for a while. But he just, man, he, once he got comfortable, his shot selection got a lot better. His defense became much better. And again, when you're a six, eight point guard, that's a lot easier. You just kind of stick your arms out. Um, But he got really comfortable. He got really just, he got much better as the season went along and him and Rozier, I think they're going to be electric together. I mean, I think it's going to be really fun to watch because Rozier in Charlotte has just been awesome on both ends and his pull-up shooting has been really great. And that's going to be really nice next to LaMelo and, you know, Gordon Hayward is, I guess he's still maybe the offensive hub on this team, but I don't know. LaMelo may take that over this year. So we'll see. Um, But my, my concern with this team is their bench. Like they had a really fun bench last year. Like, they had Devontae Graham. You know, there was some Malik Monk in there. You got the Martin Twins. And now they've got Ish Smith. They've James Booknight, who is probably going to be an awesome scorer, so that's good. Kelly Oubre. It's like, I, I don't know. I think I'm out on Kelly Oubre. I'm definitely out on Ish Smith. And, and these are just guys on your bench, so who cares? But I don't know. As, as a fringe playoff team – I feel like the bench is kind of where you have a chance to make up some dead space between you and the next team. And this bench is not, not exciting me. I think Ubre and Bridges not are this. I wouldn't say are the same player, but you can kind of say, play the same way if you have both of them, right? Like you don't have to change that play style particularly going from LaMelo to Ish Smith. <laughs> um, this team thought it would be a good idea to bring in Brad Wanamaker after his absolutely disastrous stint in Golden State last year. So their judgment might not always be the best, but, you know, if Ish Smith can be... Ish Smith wasn't terrible in Washington last year, I'll say. Was he great? No. But he wasn't as bad as Ish Smith has been in other places. <laughs> I, listen, I don't... Going from Devontae Graham to Ish Smith is about as big of a downgrade as you can make. But there's worse backup. Like, you would have Brad Wanamaker on your team. You could sign him. So, I think that that's fine there. I think P.J. Washington, he's the guy to watch on this team. Like, to see, he might explode, right? And he might um, he might just stagnate. It's always a possibility with these young guys. But if he can explode and show, like, some of his potential. We were talking about him before the show and how he has a lot of potential. I think there's potential for him to grow as a player. And I'll be curious to see how he does this year and if he can improve on how he did last year. Yeah. I mean, he's, 
he's just a really interesting guy because he could be good at everything, but he's not. That's what's interesting. He's he's good in the post. He is he's got a good body for defending, and he's like he's got quick feet. He's got good hands. I think you know he's been playing. He's just kind of small, and they've been playing him at the five, and maybe. Maybe he looks worse on defense than he really is because of how they've played. I, I think that's probably um, the reason. And, I mean, he's a good shooter. He's a good passer. Like, he can be good at everything. And he kind of, you know, he projects to be on the bench, and I almost think that may be good for him because you could maybe just kind of let him work work on his own almost. Like, him and Book Knight are, like, kind of an interesting duo, and I'm sure – Ish Smith and Ubre will mess that up somehow, but you know, I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting bench, and it could end up being good. I don't know. Like the players make the players are are good on their own. Will they be good together? I don't know. And also the fact that we only have one Martin twin on on this team now is it, it's going to take some time to get over that. <laughs> I actually don't know which Martin twin it is. It's Cody that's still on the team, right? Yes. Okay. Cody Martin's good. I like Cody Martin. Caleb Martin is in Miami now, so we'll see how they play when they're not together. But I think that'll be interesting to watch. Um, let's move on to the Knicks. So I'm, I think I'm probably higher on the Knicks than you are. I have the Knicks ceiling as sixth and their floor is 10th. I think that they could be pretty... I don't think they got... I think they got better while the rest of the conference got better around them as well. I'll say, because last year you could say, Oh, that was kind of a fluke, you know, 72 game season, Randall and Barrett stayed healthy all year. They started Alfred Payton for all 72 games and they still made the fourth seed this year. They replaced Payton with Kemba. They replaced Bullock with Fournier. Um, They're going to get Mitchell Robinson back. They have Derek Rose. They retained Rosen Burks. Obi Toppin got another year. Nerlens Noel is still good. Emmanuel Quickly has got another year. I think they're going to be real interesting this year, and I think that there's a chance they avoid the the play in. What do you think, Dylan? Where what is your ceiling and floor for them? So I I've given them a floor of five, and I mean a ceiling of five, <laughs> a ceiling of five, and looking through my teams ahead of them, I probably should make it six, but I'm just going to keep it at five for sake of discussion um the floor is 11 so this this is really the, like the the knicks are in the t the tier that is like they're more likely to suck than not suck i think is kind of what the tier is in my opinion because again like the how many teams do we have ahead of them that are like for sure going to be good you know it's over half the conference that's probably like you know eight eight teams that are basically locks for the playoffs or like, and that's, that makes things a lot tougher. So what you said is, is what what I think that they've gotten better, but have they gotten better enough? (laughs) Like the other teams in the conference just have rapidly improved. And I don't know, like we talked about this with the free agency pod, whenever that was, I have no reason to believe in Kemba Walker. I think he's way better than than Alfred Payton. That's a fact. And the fact that Alfred Payton's even on a roster, and I forget which one it is, but we talked about it in the West. 
it, it kind of sickens me that he's even on a roster at the moment. But like we tried to send him to Italy. Okay, could he just go to Italy? I know you want him to go to like uh, Istanbul or something like somewhere worse than Italy. But uh, and I, no, no offense to Istanbul. Don't put words in my mouth, Dylan Hughes. I'm sure Istanbul is beautiful this time of year, but um, we don't need Alfred Payton in the United States. Is that's really what it comes down to? Any of the other 200 and whatever countries, just take him, okay? And preferably not North American countries either. But anyway, Kemba Walker better than Alfred Payton, but it's been like a year and a half of just not great basketball. And I'm a guy that loves Kemba, man. Like, I wanted the Pacers to sign him a few years ago. He's been one of my favorite guys to watch because he's a great scorer, but he also turned himself into a great shooter is the main thing. Like, he – if you look at his stats, he was horrible in his first few years. Like, the efficiency was just horrendous. And he slowly worked himself into being a really good shooter. And the the bubble – in the Eastern Conference Finals, he was just terrible, and especially against Miami, yeah, Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. And last year, he just didn't do much. It's like, I don't know what to think anymore. I mean, he's he's a small guard. Like, it's not – it wouldn't shock me if he's, like, out of the league in two years. I mean, look at Isaiah Thomas. Like, Isaiah Thomas got one injury, and he was just done. Like, and that, that's what happens to these small guys is they lose that little burst of quickness for whatever reason. They, they get a, a hip injury or something like that, and it's over. And, you know, I don't want that to be the case for Kemba, but until he proves that he's not that, I have no reason to believe that he's going to be super impactful for this team. Evan Fournier has spent his entire career playing on a terrible Magic team. I mean, they've had some good years, but, like, I have no reason to believe that he's going to be great either. And then it's, it's amazing how RJ Barrett's become my favorite player on this roster as much as I've trashed on him since the drafts. But I mean, everyone knows what I think about Julius Randall. I think he's going to be great in the, in the regular season. And I think that's why I give them a high floor because, or a high ceiling because he will help them win games as he did last year. But Obviously, the playoffs is another discussion. And then Mitchell Robinson is probably going to get hurt. And the good news is they have New Orleans Noel. So, like, they have good depth. I think Obi Toppin is probably going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> nice little cat view we're getting here. And this is why you watch the podcast and not just listen to it so you can get this kind of entertainment <laughs> value. Um, but I don't know. Like... I just look back to the playoffs last year where it was the the Derrick Rose and Alex Burke, Alec Burks show. I mean, who in God's name asked for that? You know, like this, it just scares me a little bit with this team. I think they have a lot of good talent, but there's just some scary parts for me. This is the most confident they've been. Yes, yeah, shout out to my cat, um, Suki. She was just trying to be by me, and she got on my computer, and I have my computer in a precarious place, so no thank you. Um, Alec Burks and Derrick Rose show was not what I was expecting in last year's playoffs. Like, how could you expect it? That was so random. But I was encouraged. I, I think that their aggressiveness in the offseason trying to get better while still maintaining the future flexibility 
I think they're managing their team really well right now. But they're going to probably finish. If I had to guess, they're probably going to be the eighth seed. Like, just my overall guess. And that's a play-in spot this year. It's going to be a play-in spot going forward since they're keeping the play-in. I think that this team... Like, their defense should be rock solid again. We've seen Tibbs have great defenses with point guards worse on defense than Kemba is. Hell, we saw him have a great defense (laughs) starting Nate Robinson for a majority of a year. DJ Augustine, I could go through the list, right? I was a Bulls fan. I know. CJ Watson, like... He had great defenses to compensate. Nerlens Noel, I think, was a steal of a contract. Getting him for 30-some million. Like, that dude could have probably gone to, like, a place like Charlotte and started. But he's going to be a backup once Mitchell Robinson gets back. Mitchell Robinson, by the way, sneaky uh, candidate who didn't get extended today. So I'll be curious to see what his restricted or unrestricted free agency looks like. I think he's actually eligible since he was a second-round pick to be extended further in the year, but I'm not. I'm not a cap expert, so who's this or a CBA expert? So I'm not exactly sure. But last year their defense was elite and the offense sucked. <laughs> this year the defense will probably be really good and the offense will be just okay. And I think that that most years that would be a formula to get home court in the first round. This year it's just not. This year the top of the East is so strong that I think that. I think five seed could be attainable for them. It's just everything has to go right for the teams that are like better than them. And I just, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And that's the problem. And, you know, in the East, we're very used to, Oh, you were pretty good. So you're the fourth seed, you know, that that's what we're used to. But this year it's like, I don't want to spoil the teams ahead of them, even though everyone knows what we're going to say, but like the teams we're going to get to, they have to suffer catastrophic injuries to not get top four seeds. Like it's, it's almost a lock at this point. And, and even the two or three or four spots outside of that. I mean, like I said, there's like eight teams that you can pretty much pencil into the playoffs at this point, And we haven't even played a game yet. And again, like this happens every year. There's always something crazy that happens, but I don't know. There's also some years where it's just, it is what it is. And Injuries will obviously change that, but I mean, the Knicks have to have a lot of things go wrong with other teams and a lot of things go right with them to reach that ceiling. I agree. I think, I think they're more likely to fall to like the eight, nine range. I think that's ultimately kind of the sweet spot with them. Yeah. And it's not anything about them. It's just how strong the rest of the conference is above them. So let's, so you have two more tiers or three more tiers left, correct? Yes. Let's go ahead and move on to tier three then, if you don't mind, Mr. Hughes. Yes. So this has three teams and I'll go ahead and start with the bottom team of that, which is the Bulls. And the the Bulls I have is a ceiling of five and a floor of 10. So I just, I've said this on many pods. I just love this team. I I see where I could go wrong. And I'm sure you're going to point out all those problems, but God, man, Zach Levine was just so good last year. Like he legitimately became one of my favorite players to watch last year. Cause he was just, he did everything right on offense. I mean, he was just amazing to watch and he had a very large impact on winning because when he didn't play, they sucked. And when he did play, they were a lot better and they had basically no talent aside from getting Vucevic at the end of the year. So 
I'm a big fan of Demar. I'm a bigger fan of Demar than you. And I mean, we both like Lonzo. You know, I don't want to look too much into preseason, and I've barely watched any. But I, I actually, I really think Lonzo may just actually be this off-ball like sniper. Like it seems like that's that's kind of the role that he has to play for this team. And maybe he's just going to be really good at it. Like. I also wouldn't be shocked if he just runs the bench unit a lot um, to try to get some more ball handling reps in. And maybe they throw Kobe White or Alex Caruso out there with the with DeMar and Zach Levine. But, I mean, those three, just talent-wise, are, are awesome. And I don't think – I personally don't think it's going to be hard for them to mesh because they're all good passers and they're all good scorers. So, it, it's, I think it's going to work fine. Vucevic is just like Vucevic doesn't really have to do much. That's what's good for him. I don't think he has to do a ton. It would be great if he could maybe block two shots a game somehow, but that's probably not um, a great expectation to have. Um, And then Pat Williams. I mean, another one of our favorite young guys. He's like, it's kind of funny how he's like the, he's like the misfit of this team where it's just a bunch of vets basically. I mean, not that Lonzo's too old, but it's a bunch of vets and then uh, a sophomore. So, but he he fits in like he's. I think he's really going to be a great player on both ends in the bench. Like I, I already talked about, Kobe White, Alex Caruso. I think are going to be nice together. Alex Caruso may end up being one of the best like value signings of the offseason. It may be value isn't a good way to say it, but like one of the more sneaky offseason signings, I think he's really good. And we saw for the Lakers the past couple of years, the impact he can have. Troy Brown, I've liked him since college. Kind of been waiting on a breakout for him. And maybe this year is it. I don't know. I'm not going to expect too much. One guy I'm interested in, Javante Green. Javante Green was low-key, like, pretty dang good to close the season for them. I don't know. Like, that's a guy that he's not changing the game for you, but if he's like a if he's like a nice seventh or eighth man, that's that's where the ceiling and the floor start to, you know, you start to figure it out. Because you know how good the starting unit is. And this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with, with Charlotte. The starting unit is going to be great. It's the bench. Or how much? How many points are you giving up when the bench unit comes out? And, I mean, I think the Bulls defensively, at least on the bench unit, are pretty good. But if you can get a guy like Javante Green in there that can kind of pop maybe a little bit, I mean, that, that can swing from being like the, the ninth seed to the seventh seed or something like that. So I have the exact same ceiling and floor for them, which is funny. I think that... So just in case you don't remember Dylan's for whatever reason, mine was a ceiling of five and a floor of 10. So we both had the exact same one. This is going to be the most fun team in the National Basketball Association next year. For better or for worse, this team is going to score 130 points a game and they're going to give up 130, right? I think that, listen, that's just the fact of the matter is that they, they're, their defensive hopes lie on two point guards and a second year player. Right. And God bless Pat Williams. He is having a lot of responsibility foisted upon his shoulders this season. And if he can step up to that challenge, that's great, but nobody should be mad at him. If he can't step up to that challenge. Right. 
Zach Levine, I think, will be better on defense after the Olympic experience. Um, Damar and Vooch, they're basically lost cause at this point on defense. But, and I mean, I'll be curious to see their bench. They're paper thin, right? I think Caruso's a good backup point guard, but, and I think Kobe White could be a good backup too. But I think, and you know, I've had my philosophy that Kobe White's basically going to be like, Jamal Crawford stereotype, right, of player, where he just comes in and gets buckets off the bench. I think that's his ultimate destiny. But I think that, like, Alizé Johnson and Tony Bradley are basically their two backup bigs, right? Dennis, I said Dennis, Derek Jones Jr. is going to be there like one of their key forwards off their bench. This team just doesn't have a whole lot of depth. That's good. Right. And you know, they spend all their money on top end talent and I don't blame them. I don't think it fits particularly well on defense on offense. I think they're going to fit like a glove. Like Lonzo's going to play off ball. Zach's going to play off ball more. Vooch can play off the ball. Demar is going to handle it a lot. Pat Williams. All he does is off ball. So I think they will be fine on that aspect of it. I just feel like this team it's kind of the opposite of what I was saying with the Raptors. This team is going to be top five in offensive efficiency. There's like, I don't see a world where that doesn't happen. They're going to get baskets. If Billy Donovan can get them to like the 20th best defense, like via defensive efficiency, give him the coach of the year tomorrow because that will be a miracle. (laughs) And I think that's my only issue with them. I think they're going to be a really fun regular season team that doesn't, I don't think they'd make it out of the playing round. If I'm being honest with you, like, I think that this team is just so intrinsically flawed (laughs) that unless Zach Levine turns into like, unless he becomes Bradley Beal this year, then they get out of the playing round. But I don't think Zach's going to handle the ball enough for that. So I think that they're going to be, there's nothing wrong with that. I think they're going to be one and done in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a fair destiny. I mean, I think this team was, almost more built for fun than anything. And it's like the Bulls have not done anything in a long time. And, you know, getting Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan is something that you can sell fans on. And it's going to be really fun, as you mentioned, to watch. And it's going to be horrible on defense, but at least they're trying something for once because this front office has been a disaster for a long time. And it's finally starting to swing in their favor now. And yeah, they'll probably lose in the first round, but hey, there's a lot of teams that would kill for that. They, they would. I don't feel like we have to talk about the Bulls a whole lot because I feel like we talked about them a lot this summer. So, I mean, they have a really interesting team and I'll be really, this is going to, I'll say this last thing on the Bulls. This is going to really test Billy Donovan's like medal as a coach. He's had some pretty, Before this last year, he's had some pretty good situations in the NBA. You know, he coached Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. He coached Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook and Paul George, Chris Paul and that weird team, right? That weird last OKC team. Last year was his first like year of adversity in the NBA, I'd say. I'll be curious to see how he bounces back after last year, because last year was a weird year for them. Um, I don't I'll say. I still don't understand why they didn't bring back Daniel Tice. I think I'd rather have Daniel Tice than Alex Caruso for this team. They just need some defensive front court help. And you could have gotten a better backup point guard, like on the buyout market or not better, but like DJ, let's just say DJ Augustine gets bought out. 
I wouldn't mind having DJ Augustine run the backup point guard. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like they could have brought back Daniel Tice, but that's my only real complaint as of right now. But Dylan, what is your next team? I'm guessing it's going to be. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it the Indiana Pacers? Yes, it is. Well, look at me. Good at guessing. So what is your ceiling and floor for the Indiana Pacers? So my ceiling is four and the floor is 10. So, you know, it. I look at the East as a three-team conference. And everything else is kind of like, obviously there's tiers as I'm, you know, going through here. But, I mean, the top three teams, it's hard to expect anyone but those three teams to kind of rule the top three unless injuries come into play. And that fourth seed, I think, is really open. And are there teams better than the Pacers? Absolutely. But my biggest thing with the Pacers is they got the best offseason acquisition to everyone. They got Rick Carlisle. You don't get Rick Carlisle every offseason. I mean, Rick Carlisle is – I'm not going to say he's a coach the Pacers never had because they quite literally have had Rick Carlisle before. Um, but the Pacers passed – basically the coaches ever since Carlisle left the first time – it's been like kind of just good enough. I mean, Jim O'Brien was horrible, so he's he's gone. But Frank Vogel was obviously a very good coach, a championship coach now, but he could not design an offense for shit. Like he had no way he builds a great defense. And the reason the Lakers won a title is because they have LeBron. Like if they didn't if they didn't have one of the best players of all time to kind of run the offense. Frank Vogel's not constructing that. Um, Nate McMillan, very good coach, very good coach. But he's like, as, as we've talked about before, I think he's one of those coaches that gets you from bad to good, but not good to great. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that's not going to happen with the Hawks because the Hawks have more talent than the Pacers have ever had. Um, they've Trey Young is probably – is he better than Paul George was? I don't know. He's I mean, <laughs> that's a tough distinction. Different positions, different eras. I don't think. I'd say they're about one and one there. Yeah, it's it's pretty close either way. But when you add in the rest of the talent, I mean, the Pacers never had Paul George and then a guy like John Collins and, you know, DeAndre Hunter. Like, the, the amount of talent they have there – is way more than here. So maybe Nate McMillan can take that team from good to great. You know, that's to be seen, but I mean, Rick Carlisle has won a title. So there's just a different level there. And I just think he's, he really knows how to, how to coach guards. And I think that's kind of what this team needs because you've got Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert playing together now who, you know, you could say maybe, Maybe not necessarily an ill fit, but when you add in the other pieces around it, there's so many cooks in the kitchen. And I think that's what's most interesting about the Pacers this year is that it's hard to imagine someone not being traded from this starting lineup. I think probably the most likely is TJ Warren, um, but I guess it just depends on the opportunity and his health as well. But the talent is is just really good. I mean, 
having Brogdon, Sabonis, and Levert alone, like you're better than that. You're probably better than half the league just with that. And then you throw in Turner, who's one of the best defensive players in the league. TJ McConnell, who's also one of the best defensive players in the league. And Chris Duarte. I really think Chris Duarte is like Malcolm Brogdon 2.0. I mean, he's a good defender, but not very quick laterally, which, you know, it's not great. But if you have a good enough system, you can make that work. He's not the best ball handler in the world because he doesn't have a great first step. But it's good enough where he's going to beat a lot of guys off the dribble. And he's a good enough passer where he can find open shooters. And he's also a great shooter. So having two Malcolm Brogdon's on the same team sounds pretty good to me. You add in all the other stuff. And I think I think they have a really high ceiling. And um, I don't want to ramble too much because I know I know uh, I could ramble for the on the Pacers forever. Isaiah Jackson is another really interesting guy to me. I think he's probably going to end up becoming the backup center on this team. He is like, I don't want to say he's Brandon Clark because I don't think he's as talented, but he is insanely good on defense. Like he can guard any position on defense. He can guard the perimeter with ease. He's a good shot blocker. He can run the floor really well on the other end. And he's a good finisher. Like there's a lot to like. I mean, I think getting him in the first round and, and getting uh, trading Holiday out for him, I think it's going to be a major plus. They've kind of needed a guy like that. That's, I mean, he can play with Sabonis. He can play with Turner. Like he's going to be able to fit in with anyone. And I think he's going to be a rookie this year. That's going to surprise some people. He, I mean, he is really, really good on both ends. And I, I think he's going to make a difference. So like the talent is there on this team. It's just, I mean, it's, it's been a while now and it just hasn't come together and they're, they keep adding pieces and things have changed, but there's, there's still a lot to figure out. If everything goes well, I could definitely see them being the fourth best team in the East. I think what's more likely is they kind of hang out in that Knicks range where it's like, they're probably like the eighth or ninth best team in the league in the conference. But I think they definitely have, uh, a lot higher upside than that. So I'm a little, this is going to shock you a little lower on the Pacers than you are. I have them as a ceiling of six and a floor of 11. Um, I think that top six is going to be pretty tough to break into. <laughs> like, I think that I'll like, I don't think that you and I would have the same top three in the East. I'll say the top, same top two. Yes. There's no way Brooklyn and Milwaukee are not the top two in this conference. <laughs> But the third team, I think you and I might disagree there. Um, I really like this team. They're really solid. And a couple of years ago, they would have been the four seed again. <laughs> like you could have pra- practically written them in as the four seed. Hell, I wrote them in as the four seed last year. <laughs> but I think I'll be curious to see if they make a trade and who they trade, because that's always a possibility. Brogdon can't be traded this year after the aforementioned extension that we brought up earlier. So he's not going to be gone. Ben Simmons likely isn't coming to Indiana now. Um, but like if they package like Warren and lamb and I don't know, there's some other salaries. Like I don't think they trade Justin holiday. I think Justin holiday is too important of a piece to what they do, but they could get like a legit player. Right. I think you and I both agree. If you were going to trade either of the bigs, you trade Sabonis, sell high on his value. 
But then again, we don't know who exactly you'd want for Sabonis. I honestly think if you traded Sabonis like for DeJounte Murray and like a first round pick, that might get it done because that would be pretty. It would make both teams pretty interesting. I don't know. I am just... This team to me... Again, this is Nick syndrome. They got better, but the rest of the East got better around them. And I don't know where that puts them. Their continuity is a huge factor, but the continuity, I think, doesn't matter when you're changing, when you're on your third coach in three seasons. Like, that's a huge factor of this, too. Like, and I think Pritchard's on the hot seat. I do, because they've changed coaches the last two seasons, last two off seasons. And sooner or later, the Simons have to realize, huh? You know, this guy's, we're paying three different coaches' salaries right now. <laughs> I don't actually think they're paying McMillan's salary. I think he's done, but Bjorkren's salary and Carlisle's salary, huh? And we still miss the play in? We got to um, re examine this Pritchard guy. I don't know. I'll be curious to see how that goes for them, but. They have a real interesting team. Turner was led the league in blocks per game last year. McConnell was a was a fucking pest. Duarte and Jackson are really intriguing prospects to me. Tory Craig, I think, is going to get some serious burn for this team. Justin Holiday's been great the entire time he's been here. I think that this team, I would bet wager on this team making more noise in the postseason than like the Bulls or the Knicks do. I would say if they got that far. Yeah, I definitely think they have higher ceilings than those teams because they have the they have less flaws, I think is what it comes down to. They probably don't have I think they have higher in talent than the Knicks. I don't I think you could make an argument the Bulls have higher in talent, but it's just the defense and the bench is not uh comparable. So I, I did want to make a point about Pritchard. I think I think that the reason he was so at not adamant, but the reason he wanted to go after Simmons, I think, was to save his job. That that's been my opinion for a few weeks now because it's kind of like a last ditch effort almost for him to say, "Hey, if I get Ben Simmons and this doesn't work out, then you know I tried everything I could because he's he just keeps collecting guys year after year and they don't get any better." And, like, the players are, like, objectively good players. So that's not the problem. It's just what do those players do together? And apparently it's not not win enough games. So that's, that's what's interesting. And I do think that's why they are a major trade candidate to watch because if the season gets off to a shaky start and maybe they're 500 or slightly above it and – the East is just looking like they're going to end up being the seventh, eighth or ninth seed. And Pritchard feels, you know, the seat getting warmer. Maybe he's like, Hey, like I got to make a drastic move and trade Sabonis or trade Levert again, or trade Warren and just see what happens because I can't keep losing in the first round every year. That's, that's really what it comes down to. So I think that's what's interesting to watch. And that's why I think they went after Simmons um, or tried to. And I will say, luckily, and we're going to talk about the Sixers coming up, but luckily the Daryl Morey is a little bit too greedy because I don't, I don't think that would have worked out for the Pacers. So is this a good time to say that your last team in tier three is the Philadelphia 76ers? Yes, it is. So, so I have, I have them with the ceiling of three. 
and a four of eight. And this is a team like I'm not attached to this prediction at all because I have no idea what to expect. I mean, who's who's going to trade for Simmons? That's the thing. I think I think we have to just go through the season with Simmons there. Like, I don't think there's anything else to expect unless something comes out of left field. If you're not going to take Malcolm Brogdon and Kyrus LeVert, two very good starters for this guy. I mean, no one else is offering more than that. I would really be shocked. Like what, what teams out there are itching to get a guy that I just saw a video earlier. He begrudgingly shows up to camp and he's not participating at the end when they're doing their whole hands in the middle. Let's, you know, rah, rah stuff. He's just kind of behind them dribbling a basketball, looking like he doesn't want to be there. It's like, (laughs) you are the problem. Like, I don't want to do this every podcast because it seems like this is what we do, but it's the, the, the lack of self-awareness on him is just unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen it before where he thinks he has the right to be mad when he had a fucking wide open layup and passed it. I mean, like that is something those fans will never get over. That team will never get over. I mean, we saw at the end of last season, Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers, they're like, we don't, we're not going to mince words. Like we can't, we're not going to out and out say this guy sucks or that we don't want him here, but like, we're going to be as nice as we can and say that because I mean, he has just proven time and time again, he is not a guy that you can have on the floor at the end of games in the playoffs. And you're paying this guy max money. You can't bench a max player in the playoffs. Like it's just, it's a train wreck. And the the per, the difference in perceived value from Daryl Morey to the rest of the league is just shocking. But all that to say, he's still one of the best defensive players in the league. And Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the league. And Seth Curry's really good. And Tobias Harris is pretty good. And Andre Drummond is also on the team. So, I mean, they're, they're going to win a lot of games. And... They could win enough to be the three seed and maybe it all somehow magically comes together or they could slip to eighth, but I really don't see them slipping past ace. So I had them as a ceiling of four and a floor of eight, but so this time, well, not this time last year, because this time last year, (laughs) the finals was a week over, but (laughs) this time when we were doing these previews for last season, we kind of had the same conundrum about the Houston Rockets, right? Like, I don't think both of us didn't know where to rank them. I think when we did this, I just put a question mark next to them and threw my hands in the air because the Harden situation was kind of looking like this one, except the the Rockers without James Harden were significantly worse than the Sixers are without Ben Simmons. And that's because the Sixers have Joel Embiid already. But here's my thing. Who's been the guy that leads the regular season wins there? It hasn't been Embiid. Like we haven't seen, now granted Simmons has been a lot more healthier than Embiid has, but we've seen Simmons for like, for all the flaws that he has, they went on that massive run in 2018 without Joel Embiid. They went like when Ben plays without Joel, they still win games. And I don't know what it's going to look like the other way around. If Ben even plays <laughs> and cause Seth Curry is a very elite role player right? Tobias Harris is a good regular season player. Danny Green, I think, is just about cooked. 
Like he's 30, he's going to be 35 this year. I think let, let me double check. So that way I'm not sounding like a complete ass, but and he's got a lot of uh, playoff miles on him too. He's 34. He's going to be turning 35 next June. So I was pretty close. Yeah. I mean, let's just look at the total playoff minutes for Danny green. He's been in the playoffs every year. Practically. He's been a starter. He's been starting games since 2012, right in the playoffs. Two, like so, total playoff minutes for Danny Green: three thousand nine hundred. Total regular season minutes: nineteen thousand three hundred. So he's got twenty-two thousand miles on those breaks, and he's already an older player. He didn't start playing NBA until he was twenty-two. <laughs> so he's not going to be a, like the three and D player that he was. His salary is good to have because he'll be a trade piece, but I just, at a certain point, it's just not going to happen anymore, right? And plus, the shooting's going to fall off once Simmons leaves because Simmons makes everyone a better shooter. I just, this team is very confusing to me. Embiid's not the passer that Jokic is. He just isn't. And he's not, I would say, like in terms of centers passing. I'll just name the ones off the top of my head. I'd rather have than Embiid passing out of the double teams. Sabonis. Vucevic. Um, I think I'd probably rather have Nurkic passing. Like, and be the dominant scorer. But he doesn't make his teammates better. And you know what? <laughs> that most centers don't make their teammates better. That's not a thing that they're normally asked to do. But, like, you look at that and you're like, huh, where is the playmaking on this team coming from without Simmons? They have no natural playmakers. Curry's a shot. He's a play finisher. Tobias is a play finisher. Joel's an extreme play finisher. I, I don't know this. Like they have to get some kind of point guard back. That's why I think they need to make that deal with the Kings where they get one of Halliburton. I think they should just do Halliburton and healed for Simmons. That trade makes so much sense for both sides. Like you get a point guard back. Yeah. Halliburton's not like he's not going to be a superstar, but he can, fill in those holes that you need and buddy is and buddy playing next to Joel is going to be a fucking monster. I just, this, this situation needs to end. I'm tired of talking about Ben Simmons. <laughs> Everyone's beating that horse into the ground, including us, but it's like, damn man, this team is just flawed. I feel like with like with or without Ben Simmons. Yeah. And even, even if the starting lineup is perfect, which it's not, because as you mentioned, Simmons, the whole thing, and then Danny Green being old. I mean, again, George Niang and Andre Drummond as your backup front court. I mean, that is just a disaster. Like, not that those two players are bad on their own, but man, I mean, George Niang hit 103s for the Jazz last year and was unplayable in the playoffs. Andre Drummond has had maybe two or three good seasons in his whole career. Like if you're, if we're honestly objectively looking at the impact on winning, he, he may very well go down as like the most overrated player of this generation. And it hurts me to say that because there was a year in Detroit where he was awesome. And I don't remember what year it was, but like he was all of a sudden a great passer. He was hitting more free throws and then he just went away and he went to Cleveland and it was just a disaster. So I have no reason to believe that he's making an impact on this team. Corkmaz is like the mainstay. I mean, it's just, I like shake Milton, but you know, there's only so much he can do. So Tyrese Maxey, I guess is one uh, bright spot, but it's, it's just a mess. And we really, there's really no point of actually making a prediction because we really have no clue, but, 
I think sending Ben Simmons to Sacramento, a city that no one cares about. And I, I can say that because I've driven past it and it's just not worth seeing. Sorry, people. But I love Darren Fox and, and I love the team or I like it. I don't like the city and just send Ben Simmons there. No one will care about him anymore and we can move on. It's like the saga just needs to end. I think he'll be traded by the trade deadline because then all the league can be traded. You know, someone's going to be desperate. Someone's going to be like, we can win if we have Ben Simmons. That's what always happens, right? Someone will talk themselves into it. Maybe it is the wolves. Maybe it is the, you know, trailblazers maybe it is someone i don't know this saga just needs to end though <laughs> i'm sick of this shit i'm re- i'm done talking like there's nothing else to talk about with the sixers because what it like what is there to talk about that's not directly tied to ben simmons like there's this team is just fine without ben simmons i'd say i like they have joel Embiid, who's a top we both agree is a top 10 player in the nba but it's looking kind of bleak outside of that it's just I like, I don't know. This team is just frustrating. I want them to fu- make up their fucking minds. <laughs> the problem is, is this is the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. Unstoppable force being Ben Simmons and the immovable object being Daryl Morey and his gobs of job security. So listen, a shout out to Daryl for being smart, but just, I want the saga to be over with already. So send him to uh, Minnesota for Dario Saric, Robin, Robert Covington already, would you? <laughs> I will just say, this podcast will become unlistenable if Ben Simmons and Marvin Bagley end up on the same team. It it will be a disaster. It will it won't even be worth doing because I will not be able to control my anger and rage. And I mean, whenever whenever Sacramento Kings week or whatever comes along, you're gonna have to have Caleb Lynn or someone else come on because I will not be able to have a, a good discussion. It'll just be a disaster. Oh, God, I don't even want to think about that. All right, tier two. (laughs) Who do you have as your last team, as your worst team in tier two? The Atlanta Hawks. Interesting. And I have a feeling this is the team that you think is going to end up third. That's my guess. That is correct. I had a feeling. So, again, this this is the range where it's like, you know, who cares? Like, they're all fucking awesome. So there's going to be, it wouldn't shock me if the Hawks were the number two seed somehow. Like it's, you know, I don't, I I have them as a ceiling of three and a floor of six. So I have a hard time seeing them, you know, slip even close to that play in range. I mean, Trey Young is obviously amazing. Bogdanovich, like he had the injury last year, but we saw, like we saw during the regular season what he could do. I mean, he he and Trey Young are just a really nice fit on offense. DeAndre Hunter, as I've talked about, I think has a chance of becoming one of the best isolation scorers in the league on top of being an awesome defender. John Collins and Clint Capella, like probably one of the best front courts in the league. And the bench is interesting. I mean, they've got my boy Gorgie Jang, the man that will never die. He will always be in the NBA, and I, I'm really excited about that. Uh, then you've got Cam Reddish. You've got Kevin Herter. I mean, they Cam Reddish is the one that I think is really worth watching because 
I mean, we saw in the in the East Finals, like those last what was it three games? He was just insanely good, and on both ends, he's been a good defender his whole career already. But offense, going back to Duke, has just been shaky, and it seems like maybe he's coming into his own. Maybe that was just kind of a a three game stretch where he happened to be good, and that's what's interesting to watch. Um, so. If he makes a leap at all, yeah, they're going to be the third seed because there's just an insane amount of talent on that team. It's like, I don't know how you can stop all those guys. Like, imagine shutting down Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and John Collins, and then saying, oh, shoot, we still have to shut down DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, like, and Kevin Herter. It's just like, there are so many guys on this team. And I don't know if Sharif Cooper is going to play at all. But I think he's going to be really good. I mean, I, the stuff I've seen from him, he really knows how to run an offense. And they've had some backup point guard issues. And, you know, I believe Lou Willis saw on this team, um, which is interesting. He, I mean, he was good for them last year at times. So we'll see how much gas he has. They have DeLon Wright. Like, they're just kind of stacked everywhere. They've got Gallo still. I mean – I definitely could see them becoming the third seed because, I mean, they they just have an insane amount of talent and everything clicked as soon as McMillan stepped into the coaching role last year. So I'm excited because this has been like two or three years coming. I guess three years. I think Trey Young was drafted three years ago. So this has been a long time coming, and it's it's nice that we're finally here. And so let me give my ceiling and floor for them real quick. So my ceiling is second. Like if something catastrophic happens to Milwaukee or Brooklyn, I think they'll be the team that's like, I don't think they can get the first seed just because I think those two teams are like undeniable, but I think that they'll, whoever like slides down, they'll be the one that takes advantage of it. I have another team with a ceiling of second too. So it's not just the Hawks. Um, But I think that, so they're fucking stacked. Okay. Like, I don't remember an NBA team being this talented in a good while. Okongu is not even healthy right now. And he's going to probably render Gorgie Jang like to the bench by the time he comes back healthy. Right. Gorgie Okongu was really good in the playoffs last year. I think with a full training camp under McMillan, we saw what he did with the 2019-20 Pacers and no offense to the 2019-20 Pacers. This group that, Nate has now would blow them out of the fucking water. If I'm not mistaken, that year, Trey dropped 40 something points on their ass, if I recall correctly. So you add Bogdanovich to that mix. You add, like, you know, a better John Collins. You add DeAndre, like a better DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. You add better Kevin Herter. You add Danilo Gallinari, who's going to be like the, what, the seventh option? <laughs> like, is Gallo, if you told Gallinari after his great season in Oklahoma City, two seasons later, he'd be the seventh option, he'd probably laugh at you. But they have so many, like, more options on this team now. It's just insane. And then you have Gorgie Jang. Lou Will's probably not even going to play. <laughs> like, I'd rather play DeLon Wright than I'd rather play Lou... DeLon Wright rather than Lou Will. I think that this team is just so, so talented. I think that they'd be my favorite to finish third right now. I think that they're really good. And I think that Nate's a really good coach. And he, you're right. He's not going to take you from... 
good to great, but from compared to where they were at the start of last season, they're in a pretty fucking good spot. <laughs> like they're going to carry this momentum off the conference finals run and Trey's a great player. Like, I don't think that there's any if, ands or buts about it. He's, I mean, in all, for all intents and purposes, he's their superstar and they surrounded him with a damn good team. And I think that I want to see what they do this year and how they grow because there's really like, I don't think they might have like one or two guys bounce back, but even if that's the case, they have enough talent to compensate for like, you know, reddish not being as good as he was in the, the conference finals or Hunter not being as good as he was in the first round. They have enough talent to compensate for somebody not playing up to their potential. Yeah. And it's not going to be Ben Simmons, but man, if someone breaks free and I don't even know who it could be at this point, because it's not going to be Beal. It's, it's probably not going to be cat. It's not going to be Booker. Like all the guys we've been talking about in the past few years is potential superstar trade candidates. Like, I don't know. I don't Maybe there's just not going to be anyone for a while, which for the league is probably a good thing, I guess. But man, if someone's like, fuck this, I want out. Man, the the Hawks have enough and more to offer to whoever that is. And I mean, this is like, like, let's just theoretically say it's Beal. Imagine Beal on this team. Like they're basically giving up nothing. Like they're giving up a lot, but as far as, as far as winning right now, they're giving up nothing. And, and like, again, the likelihood of that is low, but like, this is, something that's worth talking about because they just have so much talent on this team. I mean, Jalen Johnson is a first round pick. That's not going to play this year. Like how many teams can say that, you know, like, I mean, aside from the teams at the top that, that like they take some guy at 30, it's like, who cares? But I mean, Jalen Johnson, you know, is a pretty, pretty good talent. He's just not going to play because they don't have enough time. They have so many other first round picks on this roster that are awesome that they take all the time up and like they, uh, and another important thing to look out for is like injuries. Like the teams that can survive injuries are almost the ones that make it. And if they, they could lose two or three guys on this team and be fine. I mean, they have that much depth and that's, that's what's gotta be scary for these other teams in the East. I mean, this team was pretty snake bitten last year too. I'm gonna go through their um, their games played by each of their stars. So Trey played 63 games, so he played almost the whole year. Didn't play all of it. Kevin Herter played 69 games. You know, most of the season. Clint Capella was their like bedrock last year. Um, 63 games. Bogdanovich only played 44 games. DeAndre Hunter only played 23 games. Collins played 63. Reddish only played 26. Gallo only played 51. Solomon Hill and Tony Snell were integral parts of their rotation last year. Lou Will, after he came over from the Clippers, was an integral part of his of their rotation last year. They improved on the Hill and Snell spots just by getting... They're not going to have as bad of injury luck as they did last year. It's just not possible. <laughs> They kept getting injuries at the worst possible times. It's just not, it's not going to happen again. There's no way. And you know, Capella, (laughs) Capella, I, 
I think we both had him as all NBA last year. I don't remember either. I think you might've had him and I might not have, but I think I had Kat and you had Capella, but he was really fucking good last year. And they just have so much talent on their roster. And your point about them not losing much in a trade is exactly right. Like I was talking to Caleb about it. I was texting with him. I was like, if you're Minnesota, do you say yes to a trade of like reddish, like reddish Jalen Johnson and let's just say Clint Capella for Cat? And he's like, yeah, you say it. Like you say yes. And they have all their first round picks. They're in like the, do you remember like what Daryl kept saying after he traded for Harden in like 2012? He's like, I just wanted to make sure I had all my options open. Right. And what did he have? He had an extra first round pick from the Raptors that became Steven Adams right from the Kyle Lowry trade. And they, they just basically had enough where the thunder were like, okay, this'll do. <laughs> and that's all you have to do is you have to be in a position where someone will say, this'll do. You just need to get lucky. And they have their pieces lined up where if someone says, I want out of here, like, let's just say for whatever reason, Jalen Brown wants out of Boston, right? You have like what Boston wants to say, okay, like you could say, take Gallinari and Reddish <laughs> and maybe like Herter <laughs> and be like, here, you're going to be fine losing Jalen Brown. Give us what, give us Jalen Brown and you'll be better for it. They're like, they won't, they'll lose like a lot in NBA terms, but for them, they won't be losing that much. Yeah. And that's, and that's how they go to the next level. And maybe that's like not this year. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's next summer or whatever, but this is a young ass team. I mean, you take Gallo and Bogdanovich out of the mix and pretty much everyone on this team still has a good amount of time left in the league. So they've got plenty of time to keep growing too. But yeah, that's, I think that's the most fascinating part. Cause I mean, as the team is right now, they're great. Um, they're a slightly below the best teams in the league, but man, if, if they have that star fall into their lap, w- whether it's a guy that, that demands a trade or not, even though that's basically how it works these days. But if you have a guy that all of a sudden wants out and it's cat or whatever, it's like, well, here you go. Here's here's five assets that we're barely going to miss because we have so much. Right. That's, that's exactly right. So I think that's enough time spent on the Hawks. Like, I feel like I said everything I wanted to say. I'm really high on them. I can't wait to see what they do in this regular season. Um, Dylan, what is your next team in tier two? So I have the Celtics. The Celtics, I have a ceiling of two and a floor of six. So basically the only reason I have this team above the Hawks is because of Jason Tatum. I talked about this on the top 100 pod, but Jason Tatum can legitimately become the best player in the league. And as much as I love Trey Young, he does not have that ceiling. Jason Tatum is unbelievable. And I kind of have like a gut feeling. This is the season where it's just like undeniable it's like, holy shit, like this guy is a top 10 player. Because right now, he's a fringe, as we talked about. He's like, he's Paul George, Jimmy Butler level. Like, he's really freaking good. But he's not going to win you a title on his own. Not again, not that anyone ever does. But he's, you know, he needs someone on his level to help him win. But I think he could get to the point where he's, where he's Kevin Durant, where he's, you know, whoever Luca or uh, Nikola Jokic, where it's like 
you can build around this guy and you have a really good chance of making a finals run. And hell, they've already been to the Eastern Conference Finals so much, they just haven't broken through yet. But Jalen Brown, having Jalen Brown aside him, that's what's scary. Jalen Brown gets better every single year. There are not a lot of guys that can say that. I mean, he's turned himself into basically a superstar on both ends of the floor. And he's the second best player on the team. I mean, he would be the best player on a lot of teams in the league right now. And like Dennis Schroeder could very well just be really good this season. I mean, I don't know what people are saying about him, but I feel like that was an underrated move where Boston kind of just waited and they, you know, wrung all the water out of the free agency sheet and Dennis Schroeder was what was left over and they paid nothing to get him. And he was starting on a finals team less than two years ago, less basically a year ago. I mean, like that, that's a guy that could very on both ends of the floor, be a very effective player. Marcus smart. Awesome. Robert Williams. Awesome. But probably going to get hurt as well. Like him and Mitchell Robinson are like the same player. Basically it's like you love the talent, but they just, they're going to break or twist something at some point. So that's a little bit scary, but Hey, you got Al Horford again. So there's that the bench. They traded for Josh Richardson, which I thought was a really good trade. Peyton Pritchard, we both love. Aaron Neesmith, we both like a lot. Hernan Gomez was a nice little pickup. Um, maybe Romeo Langford finally does something this year. Like last year, their depth was horrendous. But this year, their depth is actually pretty decent. Like I, I like this bench a lot. I mean, it's not the best bench in the league, but it's it's a lot better than last year. And when you pair that with the high-end talent they have, I just think if if they have some things break right and they don't get you know, bitten by the injury bug, they're going to have a really good season. Yeah. So I have them as a ceiling of three and a floor of seven. I think that their depth is going to be really interesting. Cause I don't think they're starting Schroeder. I think they're going to start Tate Horford and Williams together for now, hmm. at least. And they're going to start smart at point guard because, you know, you have Horford out there. That's kind of like having, you know, another point guard out there in essence, Horford to me, you would, you know, I was a really big fan of what he did in OKC last year. I thought he was really good in OKC last year. And, I, you know, obviously it was a mutual decision to shut him down. He got sent back yeah. to Boston. Um, Boston got off of Kemba. Now they did give up a uh, Shingun, which might look end up looking like a monumental mistake in a few years. But who can, it's obviously too early to say. Um I have a comparison for Josh Richardson that I think you'll appreciate. I've been sitting on this for a couple of weeks because I wanted to get this on the pod. So who's a guy <laughs> that was a pretty highly touted um, ball handler, but like never quite figured it out. You know, he had like a couple of flashes in his earlier stints, but, you know, kind of flamed out, you know, this guy kind of flamed out of Indiana. He kind of flamed out in uh, Philadelphia. That's right. Evan Turner. Where did Evan Turner get his career back on track? Boston, where is Josh Richardson? Do Josh Richardson and Evan Turner kind of play alike? They kind of do. It's pretty honestly dead on. Like they're both really good defenders. They're both pretty good handlers and passers. They both really can't shoot a lick. <laughs> but I know Brad's not coaching the Celtics anymore. But if anyone would know how to get something out of Richardson, it would probably be the Celtics for that reason. Like, yeah, 
Brad's not coaching anymore, but I feel like that would be one area where he exerts his influence. And then obviously I'm a huge Pritchard fan. I'm a huge Neesmith fan. I think Grant Williams is due for a bounce back here. He was really good as a rookie, but I think he's going to, you know, last year kind of kicked his ass. And if they can get something out of Wancho, great. If not, Wancho might just be need to go back to like Madrid or wherever. I don't know. But his brother's still in the league too. So if, if Billy Hernan Gomez can be in the league, so can Wancho. But um, yeah, I think this team is really is a lot deeper than it was last year. And, you know, the young players, if they can get anything out of Langford, that's a win. But getting something out of Pritchard and Neesmith, I think that's a relative win. And getting, like, you know, Williams. Williams signed a pretty good contract extension earlier in the summer, too, that we didn't talk about. But I think that they have a really good squad here. Yeah, and again, like, the main focus of this team, as it really should be with any team, is the two best players, right? And Tatum and Brown have pretty consistently just been awesome year in and year out. And it's kind of always been the the team around them, you know, like there was the weird Kyrie stuff and then Kemba was kind of disappointing. And now, you know, you got Schroeder and maybe, maybe he plays less of a role than some of those guys. Maybe that's a good thing. And the bench is better. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, Again, I don't I don't look at Twitter anymore, so I don't know what people are saying anymore about stuff, but I, I could see the Celtics being a team that people maybe forget about a little bit because they're not the Bucks and the Nets and oh the Heat got Kyle Lowry and the Hawks just made the conference finals. Like the Celtics could very well be a team and they they just got pushed into the play in last year. Like they they seem like a team that maybe could be slipping a little bit, but Jason Tatum's on the team, man. I mean, go back and watch that, the highlights of that 50 points against the Nets in the playoffs. Like, that's what this guy is. Like, he is very capable of being the best scorer in the league and the best player in the league. And he's not going to be that this year or next year, but he's building up to that. And the better he gets, the better chance the Celtics have of, of really competing again. And I just, you know, I, I don't expect this team to – to win anything this year. And I don't expect them to probably even make the conference finals, but it wouldn't shock me if they finishes the, the two seed either, just because I really like the talent. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Tatum is a dynamo on both ends. Brown is a dynamo on both ends. And now they have actual talent around them. Like smart. I think we're going to see a massive bounce back here for Marcus smart, massive because <laughs> he's too good not to right? I don't think he's lost a step. He's, his shooting is much improved from when he came in the league. Obviously, he's still really streaky, but I think that just the leadership and the headstrongness is there. I think he's a really valuable asset to this team. I think that you give me a team with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and you like, I will take, if you give me five average guys around that, I'll take my chances <laughs> to go with anybody in the league. I feel like this team is really set up to win, and I think that there's a shot that they like that they make it to the second round and they give whoever like they play between Milwaukee and eh, Milwaukee's always kind of had their number though. Even when like, I know the bucks always used to lose to them when they had, when they were playing two on five with Giannis and Middleton, Giannis and Middleton used to give the Celtics work. So now that they have an actual team and an actual coach around them, I don't think the, 
I don't think the Celtics stand a chance, but maybe they could give the Nets a run for their money. Who's to say the Nets are looking extra weak without Kyrie's at the moment. So um, anything else you want to add about Boston before we move on? No, sir. Any more teams in tier two or are we moving on to tier one? Yeah. So the last team in this tier is the Heat. So I have the Heat with a ceiling of two and a floor of five. And I mean, what is there to say? It's just a bunch of guys we love. I mean, like Kyle Lowry has been kind of the dream fit for, I don't know, a year and a half maybe. And God, I mean, just they have a glaring hole of four still like PJ Tucker, man, he is cashing those checks, but I mean, I'm happy for him, but they still like, that's still an area where they probably should, should look around because I feel like mid season, it's going to be like, Oh shit. PJ Tucker's like 50 years old and he's not going to help us uh, stop Katie or Giannis. So when you take him out of the equation, I mean, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Like, what else could you ask for? I mean, those those I feel like those four are going to just click pretty quickly off the bat. Because the thing that we both love about Kyle Lowry is that he just slides into situations. It doesn't matter whether he's playing with Kyle uh, with Kawhi Leonard or Siakam or whoever. Like, he'll play to the to the style of those around him. And he'll, if you need him to knock down four threes in a quarter, he'll do it. But he's also perfectly fine just kind of hanging out, setting screens, taking charges, and making good passes in transition. And this is like, I feel like he's the perfect fit, especially for Jimmy. And Jimmy has is, is basically molded Bam to be the same way, where these guys get their hands dirty, man. Like, that's what they love to do. And Kyle Lowry is the exact same way. So I think style-wise, it's going to be a perfect fit. It's going to give them a much greater shooting threat than they had last year because they just without without Drogic being you know what he used to be and, and Hero had a tough year. The shooting just wasn't great, and I think that's ultimately why their offense wasn't as good last year as the year before. But you add Lowry into the mix, and it changes it a lot. Now their bench, I really worry about. And that's, that's one reason why maybe they slip closer to the floor. Um, again, Hero, like, it's been 50-50. He had one great season and one bad season pretty much. So, and, you know, maybe last season being bad was just kind of comparing it. But, I mean, it was disappointing either way. Like, Markeith Morris, Dwayne Dedman, I think we both like, but – He's like the one guy on the bench besides Hero, maybe that you can expect on a night-to-night basis to perform. Like all the depots on this team, yes, but he's going to miss a lot of time. Like Gabe Vincent, I don't like. There's just a KZ Akpala. I mean, like there's there's just a lot of names that I think they're going to have to rely on this year. And and you know that part of that was was getting was getting Lowry was they kind of had to give up. Um, they had to give up Drogic. They had to give up Precious. And, you know, I guess they do have Caleb Martin. Maybe he'll get some run just based on the situation. But, you know, the depth is shaky. But the the starting unit, aside from Tucker, is just – it's so hard not to fall in love with it. This is the team – I would have rather given that mid-level exception they gave to P.J. Tucker – 
to Paul Millsap. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> that really is one of the more confusing things that happened from this offseason. Like, P.J. Tucker was a great defender against Kevin Durant. P.J. Tucker is also going to be turning 36 this year. <laughs> Markeith Morris hasn't been a viable rotation player. He was decent for the Lakers in the um, championship run, right? Like, during the playoffs, he had, like, a couple moments. But he wasn't great during that run. He was actively hindered. He's definitely not as good as his brother is at this point. No shots to Markeith, but that's just the fact of the matter. And then... It's like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. I have this team as a floor, as a ceiling of two and a floor of seven. And the floor, so let me explain why I have the floor that low, because I don't think this team is going to take the regular season all that seriously. I think that they could win. This team has so many vets on it that they could win road games, right? This team is going to be one of the more dangerous. I think they're the third best team in the East overall. I don't think they're, they're going to be the third seed. I think the Hawks are going to have a vigor for the top of the conference that, you know, will be unmatched. I think the Sixers will be competitive for it. I don't think they'll get it, but I think that they're going to be tough. Um, I think the Celtics could give them a run for their money. But there's a chance that the Heat have like the first overall defense and defensive rating in the 15th offense or the first overall defense, 15th overall offense in offensive and defensive rating. And they, they just get the second seed by default because they're so fucking dominant on defense. But PJ Tucker was a, after the, in every other series that wasn't the net series, I would say PJ Tucker was a negative on the floor. Like, if Dante was healthy, I don't know. He would have been the small ball four, but I don't think he would have played like he, I don't think he'd have started. I think he would have been, you know, like off the bench, you know, get Giannis to the five kind of guy rather than a starter for them. I think that that's going to be probably their worst mistake of the offseason. If Oladipo can hit and he can be like 2019 20 Oladipo then they might have stumbled into something, but, or let me say 2018, 19 Oladipo. Cause that was, I get my Oladipo years mixed up, but if they can get anything out of Oladipo, that's going to be great for them. If they can get, if hero can improve and it sounds like he has, that'll be great for them. I just don't think this team is going to take the regular season as seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. They're, they're a team that has been around so long especially Butler and Lowry. They're like, whatever. If we have to beat some ass in the playoffs, we will. And, hey, they've proven that they will. So, you know, I I, I could see that for sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm giving them that ceiling based on the talent, but they're of these top teams, and that includes the Celtics and the Hawks too. I would say I probably do have a little bit more concerns about the Heat um, just based on their depth mostly. But it's just that those four guys, man, in the starting unit are so freaking good. It's like, maybe that just outweighs it. This is a team that should, like, do whatever it can to get Thad Young. Like, if they could get Thad Young to slide into that spot, that four spot, they would be, I wouldn't say favorites, but I'd give them a lot better of a chance. Here's, okay, last question about Miami before we move on. Do you think that they're like, what percent chance do you give of them beating Milwaukee or Brooklyn in the playoffs? Like realistically. Mm, probably like 
maybe 40%. I don't know. That's, that's a lot higher than I would go. I think I'd give them a 20% shot to beat each of them because their defense is going to be rock solid, but the Bucks defense is better than their defense. Just straight up. I don't think that that's really like as good as Bam is. And I think Bam's going to have a career like KG where he makes like 15 all defensive teams. So I love, I love Bam, <laughs> but I don't think that he's as good as Giannis on defense. They don't have a drew holiday on the heat and Middleton's in terms of like a third defender. He's amazing as the third like defender. And plus that's not even factoring in Dante DiVincenzo. I think Giannis is going to be unstoppable this year. I really do. And then against Brooklyn, they have PJ Tucker, who was great against Giannis, but I'm against KD. Sorry. I just don't think that that's replicable. (laughs) And even PJ Tucker playing his best defense on KD led to the best playoff series of KD's career. So (laughs) it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Like Jimmy's a dog. Bam's a dog. Tucker's a dog. Lowry's a dog, right? You can't measure heart, <laughs> but you can measure talent to an extent. And I just think that those teams are way more talented than the Heat are. Yeah, and, and that's what it ultimately comes down to with these tiers. I mean, you know, this this can offer as a smooth transition to our top tier. But, I mean, the the Heat, as good as they are, and the Celtics and the Hawks, as good as they are, they're just – they're not even close to touching those top two teams. And – and that includes the Kyrie situation, which we can go ahead and talk about Brooklyn first. So let's just say Kyrie doesn't touch, doesn't touch a floor this year and he doesn't touch a needle and, uh, <laughs> and you know, they don't trade him either. So let's just assume you just drop Kyrie from this team. Okay. So you've got James Harden, you've got Patty Mills, you've got Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, You've got, you know, some decent young guys like Cam Thomas, Nicholas Claxton. Like, they've got an insane amount of talent. I mean, if you just built a team, like, let's just say Kyrie never ended up on this team in the first place. If you built a team around Kevin Durant and James Harden with with shooters like Joe Harris and Patty Mills, good off-ball guard, good off-ball guard like Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, like you've got just an insane amount of talent on this team. And Kyrie is like the most disposable of the top three players on this team. He is, he's not even the cherry on top. He's like, he's like the bow on the box that you put the cake in. You know what I mean? Like he's like, (laughs) He's, I mean, he is great. Like the bow is beautiful. You're going to save the bow. Like you're not throwing the bow in the trash or anything, but you don't need the bow. You would love the bow. You don't need it. You're there for the cake. And the cake is James Harden and Kevin Durant. And, you know, when you throw these other guys in and let's not act like they're not going to get someone else too. every single year, look at last year. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, two probably Hall of Famers, just kind of free agents all of a sudden. It's like that that's going to happen this year, too, with somebody. And, hey, Kyrie's gone, guys. Let's uh, maybe let's go see what the Nets are, are up to. I mean, and also what team is going to lose, you know, one of the best point guards in the league and just say, oh, we got Patty Mills. We're fine. 
I mean, Patty Mills could, could he's another guy that could just start on a bunch of teams in the league and they would have really good season. Like if you put him in, in Boston instead of Dennis Schroeder, like they'd be awesome. I mean, Patty Mills is one of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, he, he is great on both ends of the floor when he needs to be. So I don't, I don't have any concerns about them. Are they much better with Kyrie on the floor? Absolutely. Would it probably be good for them if they could trade him for whatever, you know, a couple of uh, maybe young guys that could really contribute to a good team. That would be great. I don't know what the odds of that are, but I mean, either way, they're in really good shape. Here's my question to you then. So um, for the Nets and the Bucks, I have different ceilings for. I have their or different floors for. I have both of their ceilings at first. I have. We can talk about both teams here. I think it would be instructive because I feel like these two teams are going to be talked about the most in the NBA this year, non-Lakers division, right? So the Bucks got a little better. I feel like they lost Tucker, which is going to be bad for their forward depth. But they're going to get Divincenzo back. They added. They re-got, they got George Hill back, re-got. <laughs> they got George Hill back. They signed, they got Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton. They uh they brought back Semi Ojale, and they brought back Bobby Portis on a really good contract. So this team got better, right? I would say the Nets got better too, adding Patty Mills and Paul Millsap, who are gonna be the two biggest guys that they signed this offseason that are gonna play for them. And Cam Thomas is going to be a really, he's going to be a bucket getter for them. I feel he's going to play a lot for them, but does not having Kyrie to you, even the playing field between the Bucks and the Nets. I mean, what is, what is level the playing field mean when like, are, are you, so you think the Nets with Kyrie are like definitely better than the Bucks? That is, yes, that is what I'm saying. Did you think that it was closer to even beforehand? I mean, I guess it's it's hard to say for sure because the the Nets were unhealthy. They were not healthy last year. Like, I guess, I guess really the Nets were a better team last year. Just, yeah, I mean, it's probably fair to say that they are definitely the more talented team. But, man... I mean, we just did our top 100, right? And Kevin Durant was our number one. Giannis was the number two. But I don't know. I feel like in like if, if these two teams went head-to-head, maybe even with Kyrie, like I may, I, may, I may take Giannis in that situation. Just the way that he played last year at the five, I mean, you, you can't stop Kevin Durant. But you can't stop Giannis either at the five. I mean, the Nets would get annihilated by him at the five. And they didn't really have to do it as much. Um, It's been so long since that series happened. I don't recall them doing it as much as they probably should have in that matchup. But, man, like if they had Kyrie Irving, obviously they would do it. But I would say – I guess it does level the playing field. But I would say I I definitely – I think I definitely take the Bucks without Kyrie in the fold and with Kyrie in the fold, I probably take the nets. Like, so he's a, he's a difference maker for sure. A huge difference maker. But I mean, I still think in either scenario, the bucks could be the better team. I think so too. Cause I feel like the nets 
don't have as many like they could shut down Middleton and Drew, right? They did that in last year's series against them. They no one has an answer for Giannis. <laughs> Blake, bless his heart, he tried his best. He drew a couple charges, but Giannis doesn't stop, right? And I think that they just don't have an option to guard him. Like you can't throw KD on Giannis. That's stupid because he would just get KD in foul trouble. I think that let, let me just say this. I think whoever comes out of the East next year is winning the championship. I think I said that in the last episode, but I'm going to say it again because I just, I feel it to be true. It, I think these two teams are the two best teams in the league. I don't think it's particularly close. I think that, if I was going to power rank them right now, the Lakers would be a pretty distant third. Like, <laughs> and then, you know, whatever, go in whatever order. It's just tough because, you know, I think that with Kyrie, I think the Nets were unbeatable. Like, by any team in the league right now. Like, if you throw the 2013 Heat against them, yeah, they could probably beat the Nets. But, like, this version of the NBA, I don't think anyone could have beaten the Nets because I think they're just too talented. But you take Kyrie out of the picture, you have two guys you can throw at James Harden now instead of having to spread your resources thin, throwing one on Kyrie and one on Harden, right? You could throw Drew Holiday and Dante at Harden rather than just being like, oh, hey, you know, Dante, you guard Kyrie, Drew, you guard you guard James. <laughs> like Now you can throw your guys all at Harden from the guard perspective and you're just saying, okay, Kevin, you're going to eat. You're going to probably score 50. We're going to hold the rest of your guys to 49, (laughs) right? Something like that where it's just going to be the problem with the bucks to me is that losing Tucker is only bad for that specific matchup, but maybe Ojale pops. You never know. Maybe something weird happens where Ojale becomes and bud has a tendency to get, a lot of stuff out of like really random role players, right? Like Ursan Ilyasova is probably Bud's favorite player of all time. <laughs> he got way more out of Ursan Ilyasova in the late stages of that man's career than anyone probably could have. So Bud just has these weird affinities for these players and maybe Semi Ojale becomes one of those guys. I'm not saying it will happen, but, and if I was a player on the buyout market, the Lakers would probably be my first choice. But if there's a couple wings that are bought out, the Bucks would be my second choice because the Nets don't need me, <laughs> right? The Nets have so many guys on their roster that I'm not needed there. But if I'm like a guy, like, let's just say for whatever reason, Henrich Williams is bought out, right? Like he's a guy I would go to the Bucks like immediately. Like they could use a guy like me, just someone who's a body who can, you could throw at a guy like Katie. You just need bodies. And the Bucks don't have any of those bodies at that four position. That's their one glaring hole right now, but it's a hole that's easily fixed on the buyout market. I feel like the Bucks, again, I, like I said, these two are the best two teams. Without Kyrie, I think I'd favor the Bucks. With Kyrie, I think I'd favor the Nets. Yeah, it's just like, I feel like I've, I've underrated the Nets with Kyrie a little bit because we barely saw them last year altogether. But that I do remember talking a lot about how I mean, we talked so much about how we just did not see it all working. There's one basketball, like as everyone says, like how can they make this work? They made it work. I mean, Kyrie last year, I I talked about this on the All-NBA pod. Kyrie last season to me was his best season of his career. I mean, just from an all-around standpoint, 
Like it wasn't his best in scoring. It wasn't his best in passing or whatever numbers you want to look at. It won't say that, but just from an eye, uh, the eye test, I mean, he was just awesome. And, and you could even make an argument that it was his best defensive season, which I think was a really good sign because it showed that he was really bought in, you know, like he, cause he's a guy, even though he's won a title, like we've seen him do it, but you still have some questions about like, what, what the hell motivates this guy at this point? Like what, what does he want? And we can still ask that questions today. You know, what, what does this guy want? And last season, it seemed like he wanted to win a championship. And when you throw him out there and he has that mindset, I mean, I, I think that they definitely are the best team in the league. And I still think the Bucks could beat them because the best team doesn't always win. I think the Bucks are really, really good. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if Kyrie ends up kind of caving or whatever solution needs to come uh, for the, for him to play. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it becomes a lot more interesting with him out of the fold and, and maybe that's kind of exciting. You know, maybe that's kind of exciting that this is not just some major big three running, running through everyone anymore. It's like, no, we've got two really awesome teams that are basically the same level of talent going head to head. And, you know, maybe that'll make it even more fun, but I would still like to see Kyrie out there. Cause I think those, those three together are really fun to watch and, they mesh really well on offense, but you know, if he's not out there, he's not out there. Before we go, you know what this series, like if they play each other in the conference finals again, we can't say win because that's, you know, nothing's guaranteed in the national basketball association. You know, nobody says that. Like they say the national football league, (laughs) but um, nothing's guaranteed in the NBA. What was that? Major league baseball. You know, the National <laughs> Hockey League. Um, this is what happens when we get really far into our podcast recordings. Um, I think that the this series, like Nets Bucks, kind of reminds me of Rockets Warriors. Like you're from a couple of years ago when it was the, you know, monstrosity warriors of Katie, Steph, I, or Draymond and Clay versus Harden and Chris Paul. I think that that's kind of what this reminds me of. But I think that taking out Kyrie from that fold is kind of like taking Draymond away from that Warriors team. Like if you just took Draymond out of that series, it becomes a lot more even and it might have swayed it the Rockets way. We never know. But now (laughs) we're going to get this weird circumstance where you take out a team's third best player and that third best player is there's a really significant gap between Kyrie and Joe Harris. (laughs) That's just, there's not like, I mean, that's obvious, but you have the pieces to replace Kyrie. Kyrie isn't expendable per se, but he's not like necessary for your title shots. Kevin Durant's the only irreplaceable player on that roster. Like full stop. Like you could kind of replace if he was Kyrie and Katie, it'd be fine. If it was Harden and Katie, it'd be fine. You can't do it Harden and Kyrie. So the fact that they have Katie gives them a plenty of shot to win in the first place. And let's be real. They almost won with just Katie. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you could be like, oh, Harden was out there. Harden was playing on one leg and that man was not right. Like there's just no doubt about that. So I think that this will be something to monitor 
going forward through the season. I think these are, we're going to see it tomorrow night. You know, we're well technically tonight, if you're listening to this, when it, the day it releases, because we're going to release this on October 19th. So Brooklyn Nets versus Milwaukee Bucks. First game of the NBA season. Dylan Hughes, are you ready? The season starts tomorrow. I'm really happy it's on a Tuesday. That's what I like about the NBA because nothing's happening on a Tuesday. You know, we have no, we have no, nothing to do. We can just sit back and watch a great basketball game. So I'm excited, man. It's, I'm not going to say it's been a long time coming because it feels like it's been like six weeks since the season ended, but Hey man, we're here and we're ready to go. It's going to be the third season in the past. Well, technically 2019-20 ended on October 11th of last year, but it's going to be already our second full season of doing podcasts together. Dylan Hughes, I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. This over or over unders. What am I talking about? (laughs) These ceilings and floors were a blast, but it's time for plugs. So you got to buy. All right. I'm not going to go all crazy. All right. If you've made it this far in the pod, I'm going to, I'm going to be positive for once. Okay. Please, I'm asking you kindly, by no pressure, finding happiness in a fear-driven world. I actually, I came across some funds. As soon as we get off this call, I will be buying the Kindle edition of No Pressure, Finding Happiness in a Fear-Driven World. So if that's not enough to get you to buy it, I don't know what will. I mean, Dylan, let's be real. This book is going to change your life, right? Oh, yeah. I mean... If, if you've been waiting for something to change your life, don't don't worry about, you know, getting healthy or, you know, cutting that toxic relationship out. Just read the book. It'll solve all the problems. But exactly. no, but the hey, the the book, you know, it's it's meant to kind of push you in the right direction. Right. It's like not trying to tell you what to do. It's trying to kind of help you figure out on your own. Could I fail? Absolutely. I failed a lot of things, but Hey, I'm trying. And that's what, that's what we're all doing. You know, when you try your best and you don't succeed, what do we got? Um, it's still Kendrick Lamar month on divine rhyme, right? Yeah, we've been, um, we've been a little bit slow lately. The, uh, we're, we're trying to book some guests, you know? So, uh, we're trying to figure that out, but that I'm imagining we'll have that next episode out, uh, this week at some point. Awesome. And then I'll be on the next one. I'll be doing uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, one of the best. I'd say not maybe the best album of the 2010s, but one of the most important ones, I'd say. So, yeah, I'm really excited to do that. I I use my executive privilege, but it's a good one to use executive privilege on because it's such a it's a masterpiece of an album. So um, Lynn Sanity. They're pumping out episodes. Um, make sure you check that out. Will, your co-host, Will Hogsett, filled in last week, and he came up with a, a new segment called the Honorary Caleb Lynn Collapse of the Week. So <laughs> I think it might have been Caleb Lynn Memorial Collapse of the Week. Shout out to Caleb. He uh, took a little bit of a, uh, of a tumble. <laughs> a Dikembe Matumble uh, at our friend Bryce's wedding. That was a good pun, admit it. <laughs> it, it was really nice, and... I would like to think you've been thinking of it for a while, but it, it kind of felt natural. So I, uh, I respect the hustle on that one. It came off at the top of the dome, my friend, and make sure you uh, check out the other selections on the 
podcast network um circle city cinema uh this it's a little old at this point but the superhero draft you know make sure you go check that out that was a lot of fun to do triple option pass i'm gonna try to see if we can't get another episode going they they're both busy journalists so they got they got lives to do so gotta respect that um dylan hughes this is another long one we talked about a lot we got a lot done in i'd say i think it's been two and a half hours but once again thank you so much for joining me thank you (laughs) 